Hello and welcome back to Tank 97, a film podcast with me, your host, David Ingram. For those of you who have just joined us, this is the third part, final edition of the mini-series that I put together dedicated purely to the universe of the Skywalker saga. That's right, the Star Wars films, running all the way from their original film, Star Wars, or Star Wars and New Hope in 1977, all the way up to the latest in the long line, be this dated or not when I say this, but there may be more to come. Who knows? Taiko Atiti, I'm looking at you. Uh, but with, this is based on going up to the 2019 release, The Rise of Skywalker. Uh, so that basically gives away and segues nicely into what we're doing today. And that is the sequel trilogy. So we've covered the original run. We've covered the prequels, which searched for the soul of Anakin Skywalker and followed them so far. They went to Darth Vader's burnt mountain of lava. And uh, now we have come straight to the next chapter in the Skywalker saga, which literally sees a mixture of so many random things as well as very Star Wars things. Um, and I'm sure my guest, once again, who I've got back for the third time in a row today, uh, is Jack Parker, who will be coming to talk to us about Star Wars and everything we love about it, and particularly these new ones, which we will admit, we will say full disclosure, we're not too familiar with these ones compared to the others because we grew up with the others and we're so used to them, whereas these are a bit more fresh uh, off the bat. And let's just say we haven't watched them as much, so we can't comment on them 100% in terms of, of historical accuracy and looking back on them, but we're going to do our best. So uh, welcome back to the podcast, Jack. Thank you for coming on to this uh, intergalactic messaging system that we call a podcast uh, in this new era of Star Wars. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me back. Been looking forward to these ones as well. We've obviously now we've covered the originals and the prequels and now we're doing the sequels. Like you said, we're not as attached to these films, but these films still hold a very significant place, at least for me, because I went unlike the other films where I watched them on DVD and TV with these films. I did go to all the midnight releases of these three films. So from Force Awakens, Last Jedi, Rise of Skywalker, I went and actually experienced the film as early as I could possibly uh, see them because we hadn't had a new Star Wars film since 2005. So the hype was very, uh, very real for these movies, especially for The Force Awakens, because yeah. everyone had all these expectations of what would, uh, what would happen in these films. So yeah, no, talking about them, it's, it's still going to be quite fun, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, to be honest, and this is from a much more connected basis now and shows us as people. Uh, when I first got to know you, actually, it was around the time that, or well, it was after the initial teaser, because we'll get into that in a minute. The initial teaser trailer for The Force Awakens was released about a year ago, a year prior to the release of the film itself. But when I first got to know you, so it was in 2015 in the September, we actually were like got to know each other as well as experiencing the emergence of this new trilogy. And I remember you being so, you and a couple of the other guys being so excited for it. I was excited too, but like you were like uber excited because obviously, like you say, it's the first big Star Wars film that we've had since 2005. Um, and to be honest though, and I will open this up just by an opening statement about the trilogy as a whole, no disrespect to the other two. Um, there's lots of debate about opinions on them and such, but personally for me, um, I will always love The Force Awakens, much like you because of the anticipation and the memories of building that anticipation to the release. 
Um, but also a little theory which we'll go into more is the fact that the narrative is very similar to one Star Wars and New Hope, but we'll touch on that a little bit later. Uh, but yeah, so Jack, why don't you kick us off with the first film? So give us a little rundown of the events of it. I'll interject where needed and we'll just chat about these films. So the first one being Star Wars The Force Awakens, released in 2015, as we just said. And yeah, just carry away there for you. So uh, before I cover the the plot and some of the basic facts, we'll begin with what the catalyst for these new movies was, which was Disney purchasing Lucasfilm. George had written some scripts. George Lucas, the original creator of Star Wars, had written basic outlines of what he would have done himself for a sequel trilogy. And Disney bought the rights to not only the, the whole franchise, but the rights to these stories. Um, however, once the purchase had gone through uh, and J.J. Abrams was hired to direct The Force Awakens, they went off in a different direction with you know, these new uh, stories not really being based on George's scripts or ideas for what he envisioned to be uh, his sequel trilogy. And to be honest, I don't know what he expected because he sold the franchise like... Uh, even though his very uh, trusted colleague for years, Kathleen Kennedy, became president of Lucasfilm. Um, I think he was slightly foolish to think that his connection to her would allow him to still have some creative control, despite the fact he had no rights to the franchise anymore. Um, of course, he showed up to the premieres and, and things like that. But the trilogy is the reason it's so different from the previous two even though it borrows a lot from them, is that this is no longer George's Star Wars. A bit like um, the larger expanded universe that we've touched on in the last two episodes, the novels, the video games and stuff like that, they weren't written by George. Some of their ideas were signed off by George, but they weren't George's Star Wars. And this was yet another version or change to Star Wars. What Disney did was... uh, they deemed that the only things that they considered to have happened within the Star Wars galaxy, the universe, what they considered to be canon. So canonical basically means like considered to have actually happened rather than it being just a story, a piece of fiction. Um, And what they did was they said that the six original films were canon and so was Star Wars, The Clone Wars, the animated show from the Clone Wars movie from season one up until at the time season six the show everything else was considered uh no longer to be canon so uh video games like knights of the old republic or the force unleashed uh the old novels the old sequel novels like the thrawn trilogy with um heir to the empire and all those stories and characters were no longer considered to be part of disney's star wars continuity they were all now called legends stories so whenever i've brought up legends stories like the uh, Plagueis novel in the last episode those stories are not considered to be true as far as Disney's concerned because they wanted to write their own stories the first thing we saw like David pointed out was the Force Awakens teaser trailer that was all the way on the 28th of November 2014 in the trailer we got the the look of uh, Jakku one of the new planets a downed star destroyer some shots of uh, Finn, the new storm, ex-Stormtrooper character, 
shots of the new stormtroopers, now the First Order, not, not the Empire. And the trailer ended with the Millennium Falcon making its triumphant return with some new TIE fighters. Uh, it wasn't until almost a year later when we got the full trailer in, uh, on the 20th of October 2015, which is only two months before the film released, where we saw more of the characters, more of the world. And of course, that trailer ended with the very iconic Chewie, We're Home from Harrison Ford, Han Solo, with them walking onto the Falcon for the first time in about 30-ish years. Yeah. Um, with, uh, with it being both in universe and obviously out of universe because we've yeah. not seen them on the Falcon since Return of the Jedi. Honestly, that bit, um, so- it literally gave me so much chills when I saw that. I literally remember watching that for the first time. It was like, yeah, so good. And it really, that's what prepped was- me. That really did. It really was like Star Wars is back. So everyone went crazy. It's like, so um, we'll, come to, <laughs> we'll come to the release. So on the 14th of December, 2015 was its earliest release in, um, in LA. And then we got it in, uh, on the 17th of December, 2015 in, in the UK. I went to see, uh, see it that night. I even brought my 2006 Darth Vader Force Effects lightsaber with me. Bit childish, I know. I was, how old were we? 16? <laughs> um, no, we were, but... older than, we, were, we were older than that. Well, we, we rate, we um, rate, we rate him. Oh, oh yeah, 18, yeah. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> okay, anyway. Um, yeah, so 18 years old, new Star Wars movie, and the first time I got to experience one in, uh, in theatres. So that was a very unique experience. And of course, being with all these people that were at the midnight release, some were in costume, most weren't. Um, you got to actually see this new Star Wars film. And of course, we, at the time, loved it. Um, and I still do like the film to this day um, maybe not as much as I did uh, through the excitement but still there's a soft spot in there especially for The Force Awakens so it was written by uh, Lawrence Kazdan returning from the from co-writing Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi J.J. Abrams who was the, the director and uh, Michael Arnand I think the producer was Kathleen Kennedy J.J. Abrams and Brian Burke Cinematography was by uh, Dan Mendel, and it was edited by Mary Jo Markley and Marianne Brand. Uh, music was once again composed by John Williams. He returned for this uh, trilogy. He doesn't do much of other Star Wars projects since. There's been Rogue One and Solo and several, you know, the things you can see on Disney+, Plus, like The Mandalorian. However, he has also returned for what's currently airing as we record this, the Obi-Wan Kenobi uh, Disney Plus series. So, you know, you can't really have Star When you think of Star Wars music, you think of John Williams. So it's good that he came back for these films, which makes them feel very Star Wars. I think that helped in uh, convincing people that these new films were going in the right direction. We have returning characters like Harrison Ford as Han Solo, Mark Hamill as Luke Skywalker, Carrie Fisher as Princess Leia, now General Leia. We now have, we also have new characters like Adam Driver as Kylo Ren, Daisy Ridley as Rey, John Boyega as FN2187 turned Finn, the ex-Stormtrooper, Oscar Isaac as Poe Dameron, the, uh, resist- the best pilot in the Resistance, Lupinta as Maz Kanata, she's sort of like a Force-sensitive, she's about a thousand years old and she uh, helps guide both Finn and Rey in the mid portion of this movie. She lives on a castle. We'll get to that. Uh, Andy Serkis as Snoke, Donald Gleason as General Hux, 
Anthony Daniels returns as C-3PO. Now we do have Peter Mayhew. He was still alive at the time, reprising his role as Chewbacca, but we, he, he wasn't always in costume. There was uh, another person, uh, Junus, I believe, who was Chewbacca when there was more active scenes because Peter was getting quite old and would often need a cane to assist himself uh, moving. So most of the non-sitting scenes, it's not Peter in the in the Chewbacca costume. We have Gwendolyn Christie as Captain Phasma. Um, I'm going to pronounce this wrong. Max von Sydow, I think, uh, as Law Santeca, which is uh, a character at the very beginning of the film. And we even get, I'll get to more cameos later, but we do get Simon Pegg as Ankar Plutt as well. Oh, so I, I bloody love, I bloody uh, love I seeing Simon Pegg in. We're both uh, <laughs> uh, fans. And David. If you, yes, if you've watched his previous episodes, we, uh, we are both fans of Simon Pegg and a lot oh, of his yes. work. So Honestly, I literally. I mentioned that quickly once again before we go on to the plot. A lot of people assumed that the films would be based either on George's script or on the original legend storyline of post-Return of the Jedi stories, such as the Thrawn trilogy, Heir to the Empire, Dark, Dark Force Rising, and The Last Command from the 90s. Of course, they didn't follow them at all, but they do borrow a few things from those stories, but for the most part, the sequels are their own stories. They borrow a lot more from the original films than they do from written works that were the sequel content that we had for 30 years before these films came out. So I'll cover the plot very quickly. So it's been 30 years since the Galactic Civil War, since Return of the Jedi. And uh, we get the famous line, the very first line delivered by Law Santeca, which is, this will begin to make things right. Now, at the time, the animosity or dislike towards the prequels was at an all-time high when this film came out. Like we discussed last time, the uh, Plinkett reviews was one of the main things that drove this uh, over-analysis of the prequels and dislike towards them. So a lot of people interpreted this line to mean that this trilogy will feel more like Star Wars or feel more like the originals than certainly the prequels did, which I think, at least in The Force Awakens, they achieve that feeling uh, for sure, with it being, you know, a, essentially a soft reboot of A New Hope. So the First Order has taken the place of the Galactic Empire. They are basically the remnants of the Empire, have grown and evolved, and we get these new stormtroopers and, and things like that. But the they're not in, in like control of the galaxy, but they are like a growing threat in the galaxy with the New Republic being the main government of the galaxy. But the main good guys in this film are the Resistance, which are supported by the New Republic. But essentially, between Return of the Jedi and Force Awakens, when the New Republic was established from the Rebel Alliance that we saw in those films, the, they demilitarized and wanted to be more peaceful. What happened was, is that as people took advantage of this and the First Order began to become a bigger problem, uh, Leia stepped back from the, Republic, the New Republic Senate and formed the resistance. So they were basically, they were part of the, Republic, the New Republic fleet, but they were more militant. They were seen as more... Uh, you know, just militarized and were disliked by the New Republic, even though they had their support. Essentially, it's like supporting a, you know, a, a, a private army without actually condoning what they do. 
that's essentially it. It's not really explained in these films very well, but if you do want to know more, I'd recommend the book Star Wars Bloodline by Claudia Gray, which is basically about the New Republic and Leia's, um, you know, uh, relationship with them and how it soured. Essentially, she's outed as Darth Vader's daughter and everything politically for her goes down the drain. So if you want to know more about that, I'd advise reading the book. Uh, in this film, we're searching for Luke Skywalker. He's gone missing. Uh, so the main plot of the film is there's a map to Luke Skywalker. Law Santeca gives it to the new character of Poe Dameron, the resistance pilot. And uh, they meet on Jakku to hand over the map. Stormtroopers arrive, commanded by Kylo Ren to raid the village, and they capture Poe. Uh, during this, uh, this time, uh, Poe's Pose droid, a BB unit, a, sort of a, a miniature R2 unit called BB-8, escapes uh, with the map on board. So you see a bit like R2-D2 having the Death Star plans. Uh, during this confrontation, there's a stormtrooper that we see his fellow stormtrooper be shot by Poe, and he starts having sort of PTSD. And this is Finn. This is FN2187. And he becomes disillusioned by the First Order because he doesn't want to kill innocent civilians because ordered by Captain Phasma, the stormtrooper in charge, played by Gwendolyn Christie, she orders that they kill everyone in the village because they can't know what they're looking for. Kylo Ren appears. Um, who we later learn is Ben Solo, um, Han Solo and Leia's son, who has turned to the dark side and chosen a new name for himself. He kills Law Santeca and captures Poe because Poe should know where the map is. So we then move on where BB-8 runs into Rey, our, basically our main protagonist, is introduced, a scavenger who lives on Jakku, uh, waiting for her parents to return. She doesn't have any memories of her parents, really, but she, you know, uh, sits and waits for them to return. She, like, has a little check list, and she lives in a downed 8080, if you remember those from Empire Strikes Back. So that's what she lives in. She then, back on uh, the new First Order Star Destroyer, Finn frees Poe. They escape in a TIE fighter, but are shot down, and they land back on Jakku. During this time, instead of being called FN-2187, Poe decides because of FN, they're going to call uh, Finn Finn from now on. So that's where he gets his name from. Unfortunately, when they crash down, it appears that Poe was killed in the crash. We don't see a body, but the TIE fighter falls into the dunes of the desert planet, which is Jakku. Finn walks through the desert to find, well, basically any refuge. He runs into Ray and BB-8, who recognizes Poe's jacket, which Finn is wearing. And uh, basically, Finn decides to lie and claim that he's a resistance member so that he can be they can be taken to the resistance base deliver the map to luke skywalker to them and also let them know about the new super weapon which is in this movie which is star killer base basically a super death star the fun fact there's a the planet ilum which is not seen in the other star wars films is where you get lightsaber crystals from, which is what powers a lightsaber, is what gives the lightsaber its color and connection to the Force. This ice planet of Ilum is what was hollowed out and turned into Starkiller Base. So Starkiller Base isn't just a space station built like the Death Star. It's powered by the kyber crystals that were found on the planet. That's what its weapon is powered by, as well as draining the power of a, a star that's in the whatever system it's traveled to at the time. 
Um, but yeah, touching just quickly, touching on, obviously you mentioned um, Star Killer Base. It literally, I think the one thing I can say positively, I can say about, you know, obviously some people would criticize maybe, oh, oh it's another Death Star, you know, just vamped up. They even up. say it in the film. <laughs> uh, yeah, they even say it in the film. Um, but, you know, I it's the natural progression really, because really at the end of the day, like we've both touched on it already, the plot of the film, basically, like we've said, we've got a droid, BB-8 or R2-D2, who take, who has secret information mapped to Luke Skywalker, plans for the Death Star, um, and they possess this knowledge and this information to give to the good guys, and they use that to ultimately defeat the enemy. That's basically the same plot thread in both films, which, you know, uh, before we go into more detail about the rest of the plot as well that Jack will mention, I think it's the one thing that, you know, the thing with The Force Awakens, and there's on the Blu-ray, there's a documentary which is all about like it really self hypes itself up about like the legacy of star wars and bringing in the legacy of and nostalgia for the old films and bringing it to a new generation of star wars fans and you know so forth and so forth um and isn't it it called the uh, secrets of force awakens uh, i've actually got the blu-ray in front of me and i it is actually it is called that indeed it's called the secrets of force awakens a cinematic journey um and literally i just it it itself hypes itself up and very much makes it into this thing of nostalgia and the aim of the team. So JJ Abrams and everyone else behind it was to honor the old, you know, give people that nostalgic factor of what it was like to see the original trilogy. And they do that with the plot really, because lots of people say, Oh, it's basically a new hope with a new name and a few different bits tagged on it. But at the end of the day, I think that's the one thing, the comfort of the film is what I, and I'm sure I think you as, as a fan as well, enjoy is that sense of familiarity um, with a few extra bells and whistles added in here and there to make it just interesting enough to be not the same film entirely. But basically, the plot is pretty much the same. But to be honest, it's got some good visuals in it. And as we'll see in the rest of it, um, Jack, you'll explain some more bits about what happens next in the story. Personally, towards the end of the film, I do love the snow-filled visuals and lightsabers. That's all I'll say for now, but we'll touch on that later. But yeah, Starkiller base is on the rampage and the first order are primed and ready and we're currently in the midst of trying to find out who our characters are uh, and you just continue our story right i think yeah apt place to continue really is the fact we do meet simon <laughs> pegg in the next bit actually yes yeah, so uh, yes yeah, so simon pegg is uh, as Ankar plot we see that ray lives off rations which she scavenges from the downed star destroyers and imperial stuff from the battle of jakku which is actually featured in EA's first Battlefront game. Uh, as far as Star Wars, Disney Star Wars is concerned, the Empire basically ended at the Battle of Endor in Return of the Jedi, but the official end of the Empire was the Battle of Jakku, which is where all this wreckage is from. You then get, obviously, she's normally offered very little, but everyone wants this droid from the First Order. Everyone knows that the BB unit is wanted. The, uh, the call has been put out. So uh, Uncarpla offers a lot of food to Ray, and Ray decides that it's not worth it, that she's come to um, sort of care for the droid in their brief uh, encounters together. She's already saved him from being taken by another trader called Tito. So she decides not to. Of course, he then puts out an APB, you know, get me that droid, which leads to her having a scuffle uh, with two of Uncarpla's mem- uh, gang members which is when Finn runs into them and they do the whole 
I recognize this jacket sort of scene. Uh, they uh, unfortunately they then hear TIE fighters and have to flee with Finn keep uh, grabbing Ray's hand and Ray not being too happy about it, but luckily they escape. Um, the funny thing about this scene is they run and off camera he goes, it's like, we need to get a ship. It's like, well, we'll take that one. Up. That one's garbage. And then the ship in front of them gets blown up. And Ray says, the garbage will do. And then it pans across and you see the Millennium Falcon. Uh, so uh, the ship she wasn't willing to take was actually the Falcon, which is kind of funny. They then managed to escape the planet. Ray claims she's never flown before. This is when we get Ray is very uh, skilled in this film. Perhaps uh, many say overly so based on her experience. She's a good fighter and she, and she was obviously a scavenger, good at taking things apart. But in this film, it's established she's also good at building things, making things. The speeder she rides around on, she built out of spare parts. And she even flies the Falcon, you know, first time without a co-pilot, with Finn being in the gunner's seat and landing a few uh, good shots on some TIE fighters as well. They are then tracked into a much larger ship once they leave the planet. And it turns out this bigger ship has Han and Chewie on board. And they recapture the Falcon, find Ray and Finn, and have a discussion. And it's basically like, oh, well, the Falcon was stolen from Han, then sold from place to place. And, uh, and Han is obviously happy to, well, you know, Chewie, we're home. That's when the line happens. Yeah. And it's really funny, yeah. actually, as well, because uh, in that bit, it's quite funny. You get that sense of superiority. It's um, yet Han going, Jakku? Well, what the hell is it doing on Jakku? <laughs> like, it's yeah, like an it's insult, like, an no insult to have yeah, on. Yeah. Like, no one would ever put it there. Why on earth didn't I think of that? But yeah, no. So then we lead into the next bit where, you know, Han's back in the driving seat or, you know, the space seat, as it were. Yes. So we get a very brief exchange between Han Solo and uh, Kanja Club and another group of bounty hunter gangs that basically Han Solo has clearly returned to his... Uh, old smuggling routes. Uh, it's established in this film that him and Leia, uh, even though they had a son together, after he fell to the dark side, their relationship, their marriage sort of fell apart. So he's back to the only thing he was ever good at, which was being a smuggler. Many would say this has regressed the character from General Han Solo of the Rebel Alliance. But, you know, you could see perhaps him going back to the only thing he, he ever felt comfortable with after the fighting was done. So uh, he, they, they managed to escape because he was hauling these creatures called Rathtars that managed to eat all the uh, bad guys that are after them. And they escape in the Falcon from the bigger ship that they were in. Uh, during this chase, Ray even saves Finn from being eaten by closing a door just at the right time. So it's another show of Ray might have some force powers because she seems to be very good at things. The next scene, we finally get to see Starkiller base and we see that there's a new character called Supreme Leader Snoke, which is the leader of the First Order. We only see him in a hologram that makes him look like a, a giant, but he's actually normal sized. We'll see him in the flesh in The Last Jedi. And he is speaking to Kylo Ren and General Hux. And Hux gets permission to use the weapon for the first time and destroy the New Republic. Snoke questions Kylo Ren uh, and his emotions because, it, as revealed at this point, Han Solo is Kylo Ren's father. Um, this is very similar to in Legends. Uh, Leia and Han had children as well, uh, but they had Jason and Jaina Solo, they had twins, and later they had Anakin Solo as their 
youngest son, uh, with Jason later falling to the dark side and becoming Darth Kytus. So it's it mirrors that a little if you say if uh, if you view Ray as sort of a Jaina character and Kylo as as a Jason character, it is very similar. And instead of getting a Ben Skywalker, which was Luke's son in Star Wars Legends with Mara Jade, we've just uh, they Disney decided that um, there would only be one child, which is Ben Solo. So the only child that Leia and Han had was Ben Solo. On the board the Falcon, we realized that BB-8's uh, map is incomplete. It's just a small piece, and Han explains that Luke did rebuild the Jedi Order, much like in Legends, he created the new Jedi Order. And unfortunately, an apprentice, aka Kylo Ren, turned on Luke and destroyed the temple and killed the other apprentices and betrayed him. So Luke apparently ran away from everything because he couldn't deal with the failure and shame of allowing his own nephew to turn to the dark side when Leia and Han trusted him with their son. They next travel to Takadana to meet Maz Kanata's character and uh, in order to find out where the resistance base is. During this time, Rey is signaled through the force to go down into the basement of Maz's castle and, it, and she opens a chest and there's Anakin Skywalker's lightsaber, the one that Luke lost in, on Cloud City in Empire Strikes Back and she touches it and gets a vision. Uh, she sees clip, uh, sort of visions of Cloud City, visions of a ship leaving her as a child, uh, you know, with her screaming for her parents to come back. Shots of Kylo Ren uh, chasing her on a, in a snowy forest, which we get later in the film. And even a shot of Kylo Ren and the Knights of Ren, a group of uh, force sensitives that Kylo is in charge of, killing someone in front of her in the mud. There's all sorts of very strange things going on in this vision. Not much of it is uh, explained, uh, even in the next two films, but that's what we get. And you even hear a few voices. You hear Alec Guinness saying Ray, and obviously Alec Guinness uh, has been dead for many years when this film came out. What they did was they took the line, come here, my little friend, don't be afraid, to R2-D2, and cut it down to just say, Ray out of the word afraid. So that's how they did that. And they even brought Ewan McGregor back as Obi-Wan to say a few uh, lines and whisper to Ray, with one of the lines being, um, These are your first steps, Ray. Uh, you, even, you also hear Yoda's voice as well. After this, Ray sort of freaks out and tries to run away. Finn also admits he's a stormtrooper and tries to flee because he thinks there's no way they can fight the First Order. And but before he gets on a ship to leave, the First Order uses Starkiller Base and destroys Hosnian Prime, which is where the New Republic capital is. There's a lot of deleted scenes in this movie about Hosnian Prime that were cut because uh, Leia had a resistance member there to speak to the Supreme Chancellor and convince them that the Force First Order was a bigger problem than they thought. Of course, it was too late and they all get killed. Finn then obviously runs back and goes, they've done it, the First Order, they've, they've killed the Republic, you know. Then we see TIE fighters begin to arrive and Kylo Ren captures Rey using a new Force ability, at least new on screen. He stops a blaster bolt in midair and freezes Poe in place at the beginning of the film, which is how they capture him. He does the same thing to Ray here. He freezes her in place. Force stasis was a, was a uh, force ability in Star Wars Legends. So essentially, it's the same power uh, as it was. Obviously, it's the first time we're seeing it on screen uh, for the first time. Finn then travels to Takadana, which is where the Resistance base is. Uh, he travels there with Han and, and Chewie. 
and BB-8, and they run into Poe. Turns out Poe did survive the crash and made his way back to the Resistance. It's odd that he didn't go looking for BB-8, and he went straight there. It's kind of a plot hole. Basically, the original script, Poe was going to die. And, they did, and Oscar Isaac apparently convinced them not to kill his character off. Um, so they actually wrote him back into the story as the best pilot in the Resistance. So his opening scene is saving Finn, uh, Han Solo, and Chewie from the First Order. Uh, unfortunately, Ray does get captured, but we see them get saved. Uh, also during this time, Finn is given Anakin's lightsaber because Ray left it behind. And he uses it to kill a fellow stormtrooper of his that he once trained with that calls him a traitor. Now, the fans at the time called him Stormtrooper TR8R um, because it was like a cool fight in the, in the film, you know, lightsaber versus riot baton that can resist lightsabers. Finn does actually lose this fight, but then uh, Han with Chewie's bow, bowcaster shoots the stormtrooper before he can kill Finn. After they reveal the uh, that Starkiller base is a thing and they need to deal with it, they then, Finn convinces the team that he can sneak in and deactivate the shields protecting the base. So they decide to travel there uh, in the Falcon to do that. But before they leave, we get a re, uh, the reuniting of Leia and Han Solo and C-3PO as well. C-3PO sort of interrupts the reunion by very, saying... Very comically oh, as well. Yes. You may not recognize me because I have a red arm. There's a side story <laughs> about a droid that sacrificed themselves for C-3PO, and that's the arm of that droid. Uh, that's honestly. not really important, but no, that's it's, where it comes from. I mean, to be honest, it's the a, appearance kind of, of funny. it is kind of funny. I mean, it, some people, I remember people when they watched that were like, oh, that's such a crappy joke. But I think it's very classic C-3PO. I think it's, you know, he, he breaks the tension between these two two once lovers they've had a child together all this stuff's going down you know their son's basically a murderer now and you know he's gone to the dark side and all that and back and forth um and there's so much history and they're staring lot longingly and lovingly into each other's eyes like old friends do old lovers do and there's c3po in the middle just doing doing him being like you don't recognize me exactly. maybe because i've got a red arm now I, and to be honest as ridiculous as the line is it's very Star Wars. It's very like I think mm, I think C3PO. Yeah, C3PO is very much I think out of all of the throughout the entire Skywalker saga, the one character which I think has well, next to R2D2 because no offense, you can't really change much about R2D2 other than maybe the levels of pitch of his bleeps and bloops. Literally the one character that has been absolutely constant throughout the entire saga and has been played by the same person every single film. Uh, and it's been through every single journey of every single different character is C-3PO, Anthony Daniels. I just think, you know, he's the MVP of the Star Wars universe, really, at the end of the day. Exactly. Well, before uh, Solo came out, he had been in every single Star Wars film. Yeah, such a shame he wasn't um, even in Solo yes. because he literally... He was Obviously, in... it wouldn't have made sense for him to be there, but he's not in Solo, but he is in Rogue One, which was the spin-off made after, uh, after Force Awakens. He's still in the most Star Wars films, so he still holds that. He's just not in every single one now. So anyway, we'll move on with the plot. Ray is taken to Starkiller Base by Kylo Ren. He finally removes his helmet, and we get to see Adam Driver's face. And they have a little discussion. In this <laughs> room that Kylo has uh, taken her to, there's uh, also where he keeps Vader's 
old helmet burned mm. from Return of the Jedi. Yeah. And he would touch it and speak to this helmet. Now, it's revealed later that the voices he was hearing were, of course, not the spirit of Darth Vader, because as we know, Anakin Skywalker was redeemed. But he looks up to his grandfather as Vader and not as Anakin, because he's obviously fallen to the dark side of the Force and claims he will finish what Vader started. It's not yeah. really clear what he means by that. However, his mantra, at least in this film, is sort of a Darth Vader wannabe. During the interrogation, Ray manages to resist the mind reading which he had performed on Poe earlier in the film to discover that BB-8 had the map. Poe, of course, could not resist the mind probing. Ray manages to and even deflects it back at Kylo, reading his mind and sensing that he'll never be as strong as Darth Vader. That's his biggest fear. Of course, Kylo is not happy about this and tells Supreme Leader Snoke. And Snoke tells him to bring Ray to him because she's very uh, intriguing. Earlier in the film as well, when it's reported that the droid was taken by Han Solo and the next and the ex-stormtrooper FN2187. We go back to the Resistance base, and it's revealed by C-3PO that R2-D2 has been inactive since Luke's, Luke's disappearance. So R2 is just off in the corner. Maybe he has the rest of the map information that we need. Starkiller base then begins to charge. They now know where the Resistance base is, so they start to charge their weapon to attack the base. Meanwhile, they've landed on Starkiller base on, with the Falcon, Han, Chewie, and Finn infiltrate the facility to rescue Ray and plant the explosives on the, uh, I can't remember what it's called, the oscillator or something. Basically, there's a uh, heat regulator thing on the side of Starkiller Base that allows it to absorb all the energy from the sun before it turns it into a massive laser beam. And without this, it, the system would overheat and the planet would backfire on itself and explode because it wouldn't be able to contain you know, the power of a star inside it without this sort of thing on the side. So that's what they've, they're applying the explosives in there. During their time planting the explosives, they uh, run into Ray, who has already freed herself. Ray manages to use a mind trick, which a lot of people had a problem with for the first time without, you know, she didn't think the Jedi were real less than a day ago. And now she's using Jedi power. It's the same one that Obi-Wan uses on the Stormtrooper exactly, in A New Hope, exactly. isn't it? Yeah. Yes. These are um, not the droids you're looking for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he, she asks for the Stormtrooper to remove the, the restraints and drop his blaster as he leaves. So she's like, and you'll drop your weapon. Now, interesting fact here, this Stormtrooper FN1824 um, is actually played by Daniel Craig. So the fans used to call this FN007. Obviously, that's not the official name, a bit like TR8R. But yeah. when the film came out and it was it was found out that Daniel Craig was the Stormtrooper that got mind-tricked, that's what the fans were calling the Stormtrooper. I absolutely love that. I remember um, that being released publicly. And oh, <laughs> I just thought, out of all the people to put underneath a Stormtrooper helmet, you, you got to admit, that was pretty good choice, to be honest. Even though you don't funny. see his face, it's just so funny. We then get Han Solo on in the onboard star killer base they've planted the explosives but then kylo ren is there walking around they realize that ray's escaped and they're looking for her he stands out on a bridge across this basically endless chasm it looks like and han steps forward and calls out ben and uh kylo turns around and uh talks to han and of course chewie is witnessing this both finn and ray they're outside and they've climbed up the side of the of the uh regulator building and they've just opened the door so they're now witnessing 
the shot. It's actually beautifully done because as the light from the sun disappears, as the weapon charges, the blue sky becomes red and darkened, and it's reflected on Ben's face. Same way as Luke Skywalker in Return of the Jedi when Vader's taunting him and you see the half in the dark, half blue lighting. So you see Kylo is conflicted because he has been, he has told Snoke he doesn't care for his father. They're weak. And uh, essentially, the mission here would be to kill his own father. And Han tries to speak reason, say, come back, you know, your mother misses you, we miss you, we want to, we want you back. You know, my, you know, Kylo Ren, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, my son is alive, he's in front of me. And Kylo hands the lightsaber to Han, but then doesn't let go and turns it and ignites the blade and Han Solo is stabbed in the abdomen by Kylo Ren. Now, there's a fan theory that Han pushed the button on the lightsaber as a sort of hopefully this will shock him out of it sort of thing. Uh, however, officially, Ben made the decision to kill his father. And as the, the, the reason this fan theory has a lot of backing is that the line that Kylo delivers after is, thank you to Han after the ignition of the blade, as if, you know, uh, you know, thank you for, you know, allowing me to do this sort of thing. It's obviously later revealed that he's racked with guilt from killing uh, his own father. Chewie, of course, witnesses this, screams out and shoots Kylo, causing him to obviously have an injury. And uh, stormtroopers are alerted. They blow up the explosives and go to flee. Chewie flees back to the Falcon and Ray and Finn run off to also try to get to the Falcon as well. However, Kylo manages to get between the two of them. And he says to Ray, I can train you, etc. When she points a blaster at him, he force pushes her into a tree and temporarily knocks her out. And this is when the lightsaber duel of the, the movie begins. Finn picks up Anakin's lightsaber and raises it to turn it on. And Kylo says, you know, that lightsaber, it belongs to me because essentially it's a family heirloom. And since he's such a Vader fanboy, he wants Anakin's lightsaber for himself. And of course, uh, Finn says, come get it and turns the lightsaber on. And they have a brief duel. It's clear that he, despite Kylo's injuries, he's toying with Finn. One of the yeah. best bits before their fight begins, before he wants the lightsaber, is he spins his lightsaber, which he's obviously already turned on. It's either the actual ignition of the lightsaber is cut from the film. It was in the teaser trailer, uh, the first reveal of Kylo's cross guard lightsaber. It's very unique. It's unstable. And that's because the kyber crystals I mentioned earlier, it's the one inside Kylo's is cracked, which causes the blade to be unstable, which is why he went with the cross guard because it vents off extra, you know, extra of the, you know, the plasma blade. It's, it vents it off to stop it from exploding in your hand. And you, you then get to see this uh, brief duel and Finn manages to land a hit on Kylo. Of course, once he does, Kylo turns on Finn and cuts him up the back. A lot of people thought Finn wouldn't recover from this injury, um, but he does manage to recover uh, in The Last Jedi. Rey then wakes up to the screams of Finn. And Kylo goes to grab the lightsaber with the Force, much like Luke does in uh, Empire Strikes Back. But the lightsaber flies past Kylo and lands in the hand of Rey, and Rey ignites the lightsaber, and they have their duel. During this time, due to the explosives they planted, causing an opening of the heat regulator, Poe, being the best pilot in the Resistance, flies in and proton torpedoes the hell out of the regulator, causing it to explode, which means 
the Stark Killer base is now beginning to self-destruct, which means the floor starts to crack where Kylo and Rey are fight. The ground opens up and separates the two of them, with Finn and Rey being on one side and Kylo injured on the other. Chewie then flies in and rescues them. General Hux rescues Kylo Ren, and they escape before the destruction of the uh, Starkiller base. After returning to the uh, Resistance base, you get a scene where Leia and Rafe meet for the first time. Of course, uh, they've uh, won the day, and R2-D2 wakes up. They complete the map, and Ray, Chewie, and R2 fly to the planet of Ark 2, which is apparently the place of the first Jedi Temple. We then get to see Luke Skywalker stood on a cliff in his Jedi robes, and Ray walks up to him and pulls out Anakin's lightsaber and goes to give it to him, and that's how the film ends. So we don't get any lines from Luke in this no. film. That's all, that's all we get. Um until the last jedi so that's how the film ends i think with the force awakens it genuinely is one of those films that like i said you know yes it's got a similar very similar very similar plot to a new hope but at the end of the day there is lots of little tidbits and nostalgic trips and you know a few plot holes here and there which i feel brings together everything that we love about the original film and then this the prequel trilogy as well inconsistency yes, think, with plot holes and only... also some nostalgia as well so yeah it's a weird yes, mix of yes. what we think the about only... the originals and the new ones as well the primary disappointment from this film unfortunately is we don't get to see the original cast reunite it doesn't feature lando either no no um, no, no. So we don't get to see uh han luke and leia chewbacca and lando together on a scene and uh, again which was a missed opportunity many people think it was a missed opportunity especially because we do not get that in all three of these sequel films this film obviously uh did had a habit of what jj abrams calls mystery boxes that's the way he writes films where he comes up with something and doesn't give you the answer so that you want to keep watching and find out. And this one had things like, you know, who's Ray's parents? Uh, who is Ray? Who is Snoke? Uh, what happened to Luke's Jedi Order? You know, uh, why did Ben Solo become Kylo Ren? Uh, all these questions were being asked, and there were many, many fans that would come up with theories before The Last Jedi came out about what would happen in the next film and in the future of the franchise as well. Yeah, and I would say... A nice little segue into the next one, into The Last Jedi, is that the answers to some of these questions, even though whilst we need to make full disclosure that obviously it was J.J. Abrams for the first film and then J.J. Abrams for the last film, The Rise of Skywalker, uh, we had Ryan Johnson, who many people know for Knives Out and anyone who knows at the recording of this episode, the sequel to Knives Out, Glass Onion, which I think is a very bizarre title. So I wish him good luck with premiering that title. But he's did, did also he done a couple on, of... Did he work on Looper as well? Uh, I think he worked on Looper. So, I've... But like, yeah, it's a different director, different setup, and we don't get the answers as such that we wanted from the end, uh, by the end of The Force Awakens. And if anything, because it's a different director, it's very jolting in a way. Like, The Last Jedi is a divisive film, but in a way, it's more divisive in the sense that you go from one director's style. I mean, I know you had different directors for the original trilogy as well, but it's so obviously a different film from 
both the force awakens and the rise of skywalker that naturally it feels like something separate yet also it's still connected because literally we do pick up from where we left off in the force awakens in the beginning of the last jedi with ray and luke at that cliff top with a lightsaber and very underwhelmingly he takes the lightsaber and chucks it into the water, which was a bit of a kick in the teeth for many people um, because they didn't expect that to happen. It was very change in tone, very weird to say the least. And then the film just continues to be different in many respects from what people expected as a Star Wars film. The film is known for subverting your expectations. That's what it became famous for. That was sort of the tagline of this film, where a lot of the things that JJ set up with his mystery boxes in the last film were either not fulfilled in what many would say is a satisfying way or that they were just cut off. So some people thought that was quite clever because when you don't expect something, that makes a story more interesting um, because a lot of people accused you know, uh, The Force Awakens of being a soft reboot of A New Hope and The Last Jedi did not want to be referred to as a soft reboot of Empire Strikes Back, despite the fact it does share a lot of things with Empire Strikes Back and and even Return of the Jedi in this film. The idea of the film was that we wouldn't be getting the answers we thought we wanted or were expecting. Um, There was even a funny hashtag, because people, the main mystery box from the film was about Snoke and who Snoke was. Who is this big bad force user uh, is he Darth Plagueis alive still? Is he something else? What, what is he? There was many theories. Is he? One theory was like he was a, some sort of force-sensitive vampire and would absorb your powers and stuff like that. All sorts of things were guessed about Snoke's origins. So the uh, hashtag was your Snoke theory sucks. And uh, you even saw Brian Johnson and uh, Andy Serkis holding up these cards saying, you know, your, you know, your Snoke theory sucks because everyone's theory turned out to be essentially wrong. Well, not wrong because we don't really get an answer in this film, but we'll, we'll, we'll cover the, uh, the film. So episode eight, The Last Jedi, was released in 2017 on the 9th of December in LA. And then the rest of the US got it on the 15th. It was directed and written by Ryan Johnson. No co-writers, uh, at least not officially, uh, and no co-directors officially. He was primarily, this is Ryan Johnson's baby, this film, essentially. Produced by Kathleen Kennedy and Ram Bergman. Cinematography this time by Steve Yedlin. Music, once again, composed by John Williams. So we, we have Luke Skywalker back, uh, we have Mark Hamill. We have Kerry Fisher back as Leia. Adam Driver as Kylo Ren. Daisy Ridley as Ray. John Boyega as Finn. Oscar Isaac as Poe. Um, we then get, uh, we obviously have Andy Serkis back as Snoke. Donald Gleason as uh, Hux. Anthony Daniels as a C-3PO, uh, Peter Mayhew still back as Chewbacca. This is before Peter Mayhew passed away as well. Gwendolyn Christie back as Captain Phasma. And then we get some new characters. Uh, some of these characters are deemed a bit controversial by the fan base because there was a lot of hatred towards the characters uh, and some even towards the uh, actors and actresses, which obviously we condemn because... You don't go after an actor or actress for their performance uh, in a fictional setting. It's not their fault if you don't like the character. You know, that's down to writing. It's your personal preference. So, you know, a lot of these characters were a bit controversial, but 
Well, uh, they are the new characters of this film. So we have Kelly Marie Tran as Rose Tico. She's a resistance member. We have Laura Dern uh, as Vice Admiral Holdo. She's also a resistance member, but she's a higher rank. Um, she's basically like, uh, you know, similar to Admiral Akbar that, that is in this film, who unfortunately gets killed off. The code breaker called DJ in this film. Uh, that's another main char uh, character. We also have, she was in the last film, but she's more notable in this film. We have uh, Car Carrie Fisher's daughter, uh, Billy. Oh, Billy Lord, yeah. Love Billy uh, Lord. Yes, so we have her as a uh, lieutenant. Uh, she actually gets the promotion from the last film. Apparently she wasn't a lieutenant in the last film. So she's now a, a lieutenant um, Connix. Her first name's Kaydell, So, And then we also have Yoda as a force ghost in this film. So we have Frank Oz back as Yoda in this film. And interestingly, not as a CGI Yoda either. That's the best no, part. We, they go back to the puppet. Apparently they uh, took the uh, molds of the original puppet and remade the puppet as it was in Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. It does look a bit different, obviously, because it's not the same puppet, but it does look pretty good. So we'll cover the plot very quickly. The Battle of Starkiller Base is over and General Leia is evacuating onto the ship, the Radus. The First Order fleet arrives at their base to destroy them, because remember, they were going to blow them up at the end of the last film at start with Starkiller Base, but they did know the location. So just because the base is destroyed doesn't mean the rest of the First Order isn't now on its way to blow them up. Against Leia's orders, Poe Dameron engages the enemy fleet. You then get uh, Poe shooting the guns of this big ship called a Dreadnought, which is apparently a fleet killer. Uh, they target the base and blow up the base, and they then go to target the fleet. Poe then uses these new resistance bombers to uh, attack the fleet. The bombers basically all get destroyed, and most of his team dies including uh, Paige Tico, which is Rose Tico's sister. We then get to see Arc 2 with uh, Ray and uh, Luke meeting with him throwing the lightsaber over his shoulder and claiming that he's got, you know, telling Ray to go away. She keeps knocking on his door of his little hut he lives in and Chewie bursts down the door. Uh, they tell, you know, Luke that Leia needs his help. And then he asks where Han is and it cuts to Kylo Ren. A very quick thing that I will mention is there is actually a deleted scene of Luke emotionally reacting. I think it's about 12 seconds of him sitting down in his uh, heart and sort of crying because he's realizing his best friend is dead. One of the things that Ryan introduced in this film is that Luke Skywalker has cut himself off from the Force, which is a thing previously established in the Legends stories, the famous one being from Knights of the Old Republic 2, where you can lose your connection to the Force, whether willingly or unwillingly. Uh, the reason Ryan made this decision was that wouldn't Luke, if he had a connection to the Force, have sensed the death caused in the last movie by Starkiller Base? Wouldn't he have then come to rescue Leia and save the Resistance? So the ending of The Force Awakens was rewritten uh, so that Luke would be stood on the edge of the cliff and not be levitating any rocks or anything, which is what JJ wanted. They removed that from the scene uh, in order for it to be consistent with the fact that Luke has, not only has he given up on the Jedi and given up on life, essentially, he has given up on the Force and cut himself off from the Force, which is why he can't sense like Han Solo's death and the pain and suffering in the galaxy. But he's essentially allowed to happen while being on an island. Kylo Ren gets aboard his ship and attacks the Resistance ship. He's in his new TIE fighter, a bit like Darth Vader having his own unique TIE fighter. And he gets to the bridge of the ship and hesitates. He can't fire. He senses his mother 
and he can't fire. Of course, his wingman don't have any emotional attachment to Leia, and they fire instead, which causes the ship bridge to explode. Leia uses the Force, which is where you get, a lot of people call it the uh, Mary, Mary Poppins, Poppins moment. Space, <laughs> uh, where Leia uses the Force to survive in space and levitate back to the ship. Um, she's then in basically in a coma the rest of the movie because that uh, effort it took to survive in space with the Force took you know, took the wind out of her, essentially. It took all her energy to do that. And remember, even though she has Force abilities, she's not a full-trained Jedi, so she's not going to have as a, an efficient way of doing these Jedi things as, say, Luke would have. So I think that's a good explanation as to why she's passed out most of the film. We go back to Arc 2, and we see that uh, Luke uh, is uh, with Rey, and Rey obviously won't give up trying to ask Luke to help and teach her more about the Jedi because obviously she has these powers that she doesn't understand and he decides to teach her three lessons uh, about but he says about why the Jedi should end not about uh, why you know how to be a Jedi. Uh, the film actually only shows two of these because the third was cut in a deleted scene. You then get a flashback showing that Luke did actually cause the fall of Kylo Ren by trying to kill Ben in his sleep. What happened was, is Luke was reading, Kyle, uh, well, at the time, Ben Solo's mind as he slept and realized that Snoke had already corrupted him. Snoke, at this time, as shown in the comics, had already been communicating with, uh, with Ben. And in the revelation during Bloodline, um, Ben was never told that Anakin Skywalker and Darth Vader were the same person. So the revelation that he was the grandson of one of the most evil men in the galaxy shook his uh, view of himself. So he no longer um, saw himself as like, you know, I'm the nephew of Luke Skywalker and I'm, you know, the grandnephew of Anakin Skywalker, hero of the Republic. So he'd already began questioning the lies that he'd been told, which actually caused him to go more dark side thanks to Snoke's manipulations. During this scene, uh, during a uh, moment of pure instinct, as Luke describes, he turns his lightsaber on, the green one from Return of the Jedi. Ben wakes up to his uncle standing over him with blade ignited, and Kylo activates his own lightsaber. They clash, and he causes the destruction of the hut there in where he was sleeping which buries Luke, and Luke then wakes up several hours later to his whole Jedi Academy on fire, his students dead or missing, and Kaya and uh, Ben no longer, uh, with well, Ben nowhere to be seen. We get several versions of this flashback in this film uh, because Kylo starts communicating with Rey. It's sort of like they're in the same place at the same time. A lot of people call it Force Skype, uh, where they can talk to each other and see each other's surroundings without actually being there. So the connection is so strong that elements can pass from one place to the other, which we see a lot more of in the next film. Ray sort of gets manipulated by Kylo into feeling obviously sympathetic towards him because his uncle did try and kill him in his sleep. And Ray starts talking to him a bit more, especially after Luke has been, you know, less than forthcoming about teaching her to be a Jedi. Luke reconnects with the, with the Force and discovers them communicating with each other and he's not happy. And he asks Ray to leave, which after they have a brief scuffle, she does actually leave. This happens a bit later into the film, but I'm just trying. There's a lot of plots happening at once, so I'll try and cover one at a time. 
Meanwhile, back on the resistance ship, Vice Admiral Holdo says she's got a plan uh, that she decides not to tell anybody. That's one of the biggest criticisms of this film. And Poe, obviously being a go-getter, wants them to do something. Uh, we, we need to do something. We need to do something. And she basically fobs him off and he gets told to stop acting you know, irrationally. Leia had demoted him after he disobeyed orders at the start of the film. So he decides to run a side mission where we'll find this master code breaker that can what's revealed in this film is that the first order has hyperspace trackers which means no matter where the resistance fly to they'll be tracked uh which apparently cannot be you know normally you have to use a homing beacon like actually yeah. stuck to a ship but in this film you don't need that now it's just we've locked onto the ship and now you're locked onto forever so yeah. what they decide to do is they'll find a code breaker on this planet canto bite which is basically a casino planet a lot of rich people are there like gambling yeah. Finn tries to leave and wants to, because there's a tracking device on him telling Ray where they are so they can find each other. And he decides to leave the tracker with Leia and go being found trying to leave by Rose. They end up coming to an agreement that they will both team up and travel to this uh, place to find the Master Code Breaker. Yeah, the James Bond casino they, planet, as I like yes. to call it. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, when they get there, uh, they park on the beach and they get arrested for it before they find the Code Breaker they were told about, which Maz Kanata, through a hologram, tells them uh, about. They get arrested and they manage to escape with the help of this other character that also happens to be a Code Breaker sort of hacker person, DJ. And they escape jail thanks to him and BB-8, who were who, uh, wasn't captured with them and they managed to escape during the escape they free some space horses that are basically kept you know like a standard horse track you know they're bet on and they're tortured and stuff so they escape on them and run through the entire casino through the town and cause havoc and 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 all that they also meet some slave children while they're there but they leave those behind yeah to be honest Uh, this part of the film actually it actually feels very much like it should have been an excerpt from now we've seen the Disney Plus shows. It feels like an excerpt from one of those Disney Plus shows in the Star Wars universe mm. nowadays. It, 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 like, it works within the film because it's got, there is a purpose to it. Because like you say, they've gone to find a code breaker that helped to help them with the few bits of the plot in the rest of the film. But I, it genuinely, like the planet itself, it feels like one of those, like, like I call it, I nickname it the, james bond casino planet because that's basically Mm. it's like a james bond casino in space and it does feel like something you would come across as one of those flashy bits in a disney plus show but uh you know it's not my favorite sequence of all time it's you know it's a bit extra it's a bit different and you know it's a jazzed up extra bit of plot to you know show some action for finn and give finn more to do i suppose because really finn didn't really do like he had his origin story obviously in the first film but there was a lot of this thing of we need to give them more screen time compared to the likes of obviously ray who was obviously our main focus and obviously we get it we gave him a lot of airtime in the first film so we need to sort of balance it out a little bit the, the plot this part of the canto bite part of the plot is considered the weakest of this film even those who really really love this film don't but will it well will admit that this is the weakest part even if they uh give it a pass. Those who really dislike this film would say this is the main reason not to like the film is this subplot. Because essentially the subplot, unfortunately, after finding DJ, and DJ explains, well, where do you think these rich people got their money from? He tries to explain to Finn that there is no black and white, you know, good guys, bad guys. You know, everyone makes money 
from the war, you know, the resistance, you know, these people make money from selling X-Wings to the resistance as well as TIE fighters to the First Order. There is no good or bad. Of course, Finn, Finn's arc is sort of repeated from the last film. His arc in this film is realizing that it's important to make a stand and choose to choose your side. So essentially, of course, he chooses the the good guy's side. They then uh, sneak aboard Snoke's flagship, the Supremacy, which is where the tracker is. We get to see Phasma again. Unfortunately, she captures them before they can disable the tracker and allow the Resistance to escape. The main plot with this is essentially that the Resistance is running out of fuel and they would have enough for one more jump. But of course, if they're then followed again, then they're out of fuel and they're going to die. After being captured aboard the ship, they are set to be executed. We'll then cut back to what's actually happening in the background is that Ray has now left Arc 2 and is also, unbeknownst to them, aboard the Supremacy. She gets dropped off by Chewie and gives herself to Kylo Ren, expecting him to turn to the light side of the Force and betray Snoke. Unfortunately, she's sort of led in Return of the Jedi style to the throne room where Snoke is. We, we finally see Snoke in person in this film, melee weapons to fight with. What happens is during this confrontation, Snoke gloats that the resistance is going to die, shows Rey through the window that they are very Return of the Jedi style. And then he decides to order Kylo Ren to kill Rey. During this, uh, Anakin's lightsaber is resting next to Snoke, very Return of the Jedi. Snoke has the lightsaber next to him on his throne room, but he's not paying attention. And instead of igniting the red blade that Kylo is holding, uh, Kylo has rotated the hilt of Anakin's saber 90 degrees and turns it on, which cuts Snoke in half, killing him. Then the Praetorian guards attack, and this is where we get the main lightsaber-esque duel in this film, which is Rey and Kylo teaming up against the Praetorian guards. During this, Holdo is mutinied against by uh, Billy Lord's character and uh, Poe Dameron because they've gone, well, you haven't told us the plan. We're all going to die. We haven't heard back from Rose and Finn that we sent off. So we've got no choice but to mutiny and try to run away because we've been told no plan. Leia manages to wake up from a coma and sets for stun her blaster and shoots Poe, ending his mutiny against uh, Cap- uh, against Vice Admiral Holdo. Turns out that Holdo did have a plan that for some reason she didn't share, that they were going to escape to a planet called Crate. It's funny actually, there. because the look of the planet, although it's not icy, I feel like, you know, and we said it's that salt. <laughs> it, it's salt and it's very much, I, it gives me Hoth vibes and well, just in terms of like the way the mountains are and ever and where, the way the old bases that they make their way to. It's, it's clearly inspired by Hoth. It's just flipped. Yeah, it's very where much, the yeah. Because they're coming from the left and not the right. The, yeah. There's new AT-AT walkers, the uh, gorilla walkers, the ATM sticks walkers. They, they call that because of the cannon on their back. When they get, basically the uh, resistance gets aboard the transports and tries to flee the ship to the planet with Holdo staying aboard the ship. And what she does is she rotates the ship and light speeds the ship into Snoke's ship with the debris actually destroying multiple star destroyers that were surrounding it. It looks very beautiful. The scene is also done very silently as well. So she sacrifices herself to destroy the supremacy ship. This act saves Poe and Finn from their execution, which allows Finn to fight Captain Phasma and kill her. She falls through a hole in the floor into space. Uh, We then move on to Rey and Kylo. They are fighting the Praetorian Guards, and when they win, 
Kylo's decided he's not turning to the light. He's going to continue down his dark path and says, you know, join me, Ray, and puts his hand out. And they fight over Anakin's lightsaber in midair. They're both trying to force pull it towards. And it splits in half and uh, knocks them both out. Obviously, during this time, that's when Holdo hits the ship, which causes mass damage. Uh, we get off screen. Apparently, Ray stole Snoke's escape shuttle and met back up with Chewie uh, to travel down to the planet, which is where all the resistance is now at the uh, base on crate. Kylo uh, wakes up and uh, strangles General Hux and claims himself that he is the supreme leader of the First Order. So now Kylo Ren is in charge. So uh, Ray tries to lead off all the TIE fighters in the Falcon, which success successfully works because, of course, Kylo is very emotional and says, you know, blast that piece of junk out of the sky because he hates Han Solo's ship with a passion. Yeah, absolutely. And you get... But then you get Finn, Poe, and Rose, and as well as other Resistance member on their uh, speeder bikes, and they're trying to get to the Death miniature Death Star laser yeah. uh, to destroy it. During this thing, they realize that it's impossible. They're never going to yeah. make it. They're all being killed, and they retreat. And yeah, and pretty much, I think in the process, Rose bites off more than more than she can chew, and Finn tries to basically get in and save her because of the bond they've got over the course of the yeah. film which obviously led to a lot of people being like oh that's a great pairing right there and obviously that was sort of brushed aside very quickly because then the next bit which actually i have to say it might be controversial to say but it's one of my sort of highlights i would say from the last jedi other than nicknaming the mary poppins moment the mary poppins moment it is the showdown as it were between well between Luke and Kylo oh, yes. Ren. So before Finn tries to sacrifice himself, much as Rose's sister did in the beginning of the film when she used her bomber to destroy the dreadnought at the beginning of the film, Rose decides that she obviously doesn't want another person she's grown to cave care for to die. So she uses her speeder to knock Finn out of the way of crashing directly into the miniature Death Star laser. And she says, it's a famous line, some people love it, some people hate it where she says, that's how we're going to win. Not uh, fighting what we hate, but saving what we love. And then she kisses Finn and passes out from the injuries that they both sustained by crashing into each other. The irony of this scene, at least to me, because I personally don't like the line, is that she says that as the laser destroys the one thing protecting all the people that they love, which means if Finn had sacrificed himself and destroyed the laser, all the people they care for in the Resistance would have been protected by the big shield because unless the First Order has another one of these cannons hidden away somewhere, there's no way they could have got in there, which meant the Resistance would have been safe. So it's a bit ironic when she delivers that line. Luckily, is when we get Luke Skywalker suddenly appearing on the, uh, on the planet. He speaks to Leia and hands her the dice that were hanging on. If people didn't notice, there was a pair of dice in the first Star Wars that hung from the console in the millennium falcon which is obviously a callback to george lucas's love of of cars and, uh, and and things like that as if like spaceships would be like having your old mustang in star wars for, and we get luke facing off against the 8080s and kylo orders them all to shoot the hell out of luke which of course does absolutely nothing luke even steps forward and brushes off his shoulder did absolutely nothing. And Kylo says, bring me down to him. And then they have a brief exchange. You know, uh, Luke apologizes, although he claims he's not here to save Ben. He apologizes and he's like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm sure you are. The resistance is dead. The war is over. And when I've killed you, I'll have killed the last Jedi. And he goes to kill Luke and he runs at him. And Luke says, 
you know, if you strike me down, I'll always be with you, just like your father. And mm-hmm. Kylo runs yeah. at him and cuts through him. And then Luke is still stood there. And he holds yeah. the lightsaber up, and it turns out Luke is just a projection. He never left the island. He is projecting himself. And the giveaway was in the salt layer of the planet, underneath the salt layer is this red crystal. That's mm-hmm. what the floor is made from. And if you notice, Luke was not leaving any footprints. Only Kylo was. The other thing was Anakin's lightsaber was destroyed earlier in the film, and yet Luke is using that lightsaber in this yeah. Not the green one. Green. Ray manages to save the resistance members left. They find a back entrance of the base and she manages to lift the rocks uh, with the force and free them. And then that's where the film ends. The film ends with the good guys uh, saying, you know, we have all we need, but it's it's a very Empire Strikes Back. The rebellion is, or well, they've, they've actually started calling themselves the rebels again. Uh, even Luke says, the rebellion is reborn today, and I will not be the last Jedi. With And that's when it cuts to Rey lifting the rocks. And I would say, very much like Empire Strikes Back, it's still that sense of, there's more to come. It closes off, and we've got that sense of, right, we've got to conclude this now. We've got something more to do. One last final push. And it sets it up really nicely, I think. But before we go on to uh, the next film, very quickly, Jack, I know once again, you are going to hit us with some little facts about The Last Jedi. Um, I think one in particular, there's a quote that you want to mention specifically, which I find very interesting, actually. The two quotes I had was one from Mark Hamill about Luke Skywalker. He said he fundamentally disagreed with, with the decisions Ryan made about his character. And obviously the joke was that Ryan would just, you know, give him a cookie and tell him to go away. And the quote was, maybe he's Jake Skywalker. He's not my Luke Skywalker. And many of the distractors of this film would say, that's not my Luke Skywalker. That's Jake Skywalker. Because uh, uh, many people did not like what they did with Luke. In hindsight, I would personally say that it does make sense that Luke would react this way, given the context. Perhaps we'd see more. What what my, I mean, this is me being fan fiction-y. I'm a big fan of the character Mara Jade, which he obviously married in original Expanded Universe. Imagine if Kylo had not only burned the temple down and killed his students, but killed his wife. That would explain why Luke not only gave up, but also just said, Kylo Ren is unsavable. He killed my wife. You know, like it would be, and now he's killed Han Solo. I think that would have added a bit more. I think the, the best quote, though, that explains why the movie is derisive as it is, is from Ryan Johnson himself. He gave an interview in 2003 explaining what he would like the reaction from his movies was. And it was. I'd be worried if everybody across the board was like, yeah, that was a good movie. It's much more exciting to me when you get a group of people that are coming up to you and they are really, really excited about it. And there is another group of people who walk out saying, it's literally saying that it was the worst movie they'd ever seen. Having those two extremes is the mark of the type of movie I want to make. So what he did yeah. with The Last Jedi was exactly that. The fan base, even to this day, is split. Especially, well, Rise of Skywalker as well, because they went back on a lot of what The Last Jedi did. Which The Last Jedi did cause controversy yeah. for many reasons, not from, from the way the characters were handled and stuff. Some people, to this day, I know people who say that The Last Jedi is their favorite Star Wars movie. Now, even though I wouldn't say it's the worst Star Wars movie, it's weird to see some people that go, I'm a massive Star Wars fan. 
and Last Jedi is my favorite. Whereas you'll get another person saying, I'm a massive Star Wars fan and Last Jedi can, as Han Solo would say, see you in hell. You know, it would, <laughs> yeah. these two people love Star Wars and yet they fundamentally disagree with the trajectory of the franchise, especially yeah. when it comes to Last Jedi, which I always found very interesting. The other things I thought I'd mention was cameos. You may not know this, but Tom Hardy played a stormtrooper in this film. Oh, yeah, um, another good one. Jo uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt also made the cameo in this film. Gareth Edwards, the director of Rogue One, plays a resistance soldier on Crait. There's a scene in the film to prove that it's not snow, where a soldier touches the ground, licks his finger and goes and spits it out and goes, it's salt. Next to him is Gareth Ed. Essentially, to summarize The Last Jedi, you're gonna, it's, it's like the Marmite of Star Wars, I would say. You're going to love it or you're going to hate it. I've gone back and forth over the years when I first saw it, because I saw it at midnight release um, with some friends. I initially thought it was better than Force Awakens, with Canto Bite being my least favorite part of the movie. However, the more I thought, the more we discussed things, the more we started to pick holes in the film and found things and decisions made that didn't make sense to us. And over the, and obviously the internet backlash happened as well. And over the time, I, I would say I do not hate The Last Jedi, but it's not my favorite Star Wars film. But yeah. I can watch it and I can enjoy it. And I think that's I important. I would happily, yeah, it's very important. And I would happily agree with you on that one. I think I'm not the one to rush to say Last Jedi absolute favorite uh all time it's definitely not but not because of any sort of like deep-rooted hatred for the film or anything like that i know it's very much a marmite film you love it or you hate it i'm probably a rare exception where i'm just sort of in between and i don't really i don't really care for it but i don't really discare for it that much if you get my drift um but there are other films which i prefer in the saga um but I think that's really just a nice note to really end that one on, really, to be honest with you. It's a love it or hate it kind of film. Let's just move on to the next film, and that is The Rise of Skywalker. Uh, but let's just get into The Rise of Skywalker, Star Wars Episode Nine, uh, released in 2019. And Jack, do you want to take this away? I mean, this one, I think this one, obviously, it wraps a lot of things up, but it doesn't answer everything. If, to sum this up in a few words, just for me, I personally think it, it's got some nice shots, some nice concepts in there. Got J.J. Abrams back in the frame as well to direct the film, just like he did for the first one. Uh, so we're away from the Ryan Johnson universe now, back to J.J. Abrams. Um, I do wonder sometimes what things would be like if he did the entire trilogy. But for this, for me, there's some good shots in this one. There's good shots overall in every single one of these films. And, you know, 1977 all the way up to now. But yeah, I'll let you continue this journey and tell us more about the plot of Rise of Skywalker, just in brief, really, because there's not much to say about this one, really. It's quite simple. It's a, obviously, the film was directed by J.J. Abrams. Originally, Colin Trevorrow was going to direct Episode Nine. It even had a different name. It was called Jewel of the Fates, named after the famous song uh, from, the, uh, from The Phantom Menace. However, that changed when he left the project due to creative differences, and they brought J.J. in to finish the trilogy that he started. So... In December 2019, on the 16th, was the premiere of Rise of Skywalker at the Dolby Theatre. And then on the 20th was when the rest of the United States got the film. It was written and directed by J.J. Abrams with the screenplay by J.J. Abrams and Chris Terry. Produced by Kathleen Kennedy, J.J. Abrams. Cinematography was by Dan Mindel this time. And uh, the score was once again done by uh, John Williams. We have a returning character. 
just now, uh, what we forgot to mention actually in the in the end of the Last Jedi is uh, after Luke Skywalker disappeared, he looks out onto the sunset, uh, very similar to the way he looked out onto the binary sunset on Tatooine, and becomes one with the Force. He disappears the same way that uh, Obi Wan and Yoda did before him. So Luke did die in the last film. However, we do get to see his Force ghost and hear his voiceover later in this film so mark is back harrison ford comes back of course he's not a force ghost he's just a memory in kylo ren's head carrie fisher unfortunately died in uh, december of 2016 so we didn't get to she obviously does not reprise her role in this film they use deleted scenes from the force awakens and sort of work dialogue around to keep her in the film which is why she doesn't really do or stay much in this film even though the original plan was Episode seven would be, you know, obviously they'd all be about the new characters, but focus on Han Solo, then focus on Luke Skywalker for episode eight. And episode nine would have been Leia. Apparently the original plans in George's trilogy was to make Leia uh, more of a chosen one than even Luke in the end, which unfortunately they couldn't do because they just simply don't have enough Carrie Fisher footage. And they weren't willing to CGI her and make her do all sorts of things, despite the fact that a year prior, to the release of this film, uh, not a year prior, sorry, several years prior, in fact, uh, when Rogue One came out, they did a CGI younger Leia at the end of that film, which Carrie luckily did see before she died, and she did approve of it. So it was at least nice to know uh, that she saw that. But moving on, uh, we got, obviously, Daisy Ridley back as Rey, John Boyega back as Finn, Oscar Isaac as Poe, Peter Mayhew has also passed away, so we no longer have him as Chewbacca, so we just have Junus as uh, Chewbacca. We have Ian McDermott re- uh, returning as Darth Sidious, Emperor Palpatine. He, This is the main thing of this movie. The Emperor has returned from the dead. We're not sure how he did it. One of the lines in the film is uh, cloning, uh, illegal experiments, secrets only the Sith knew. There were abilities uh, that the Sith had, uh, in certainly the original expanded universe of Star Wars that would allow them to come back to life or transfer their consciousness into another body. We get a little bit of Andy Serkis as Snoke and even a little bit of James Earl Jones as Darth Vader because when the Emperor speaks to Kylo at the beginning of this film, he says, I have been every voice you have ever heard inside your head. And each part of that sentence is said in the Emperor's voice, then Snoke's voice, and then Vader's voice. We get uh, Donald Gleeson back as General Hux. We have Anthony Daniels back as C-3PO. Billy D. Williams returns as Lando Calrissian. Billy Lord returns as Lieutenant uh, Connix. We also get uh, Naomi Aki as a new character, uh, Janna, an ex-Stormtrooper. A bit like Finn that they meet into this film. We even get Richard E. Grant as General Pride, uh... a sort of... Grand Moff Tarkin-esque characters, yeah. uh, essentially outranks, uh, well, not outranks, has the same rank as General Hux. But basically um, goes over his head. Basically, he's actually, he's actually loyal to the First Order and yeah. later the Final Order or the Sith uh-huh. Eternal, which is what the uh, Emperor is building on the secret Sith planet of Exegol, which is what this movie is all about. And um, you also yeah. get Kerry Russell as Zori Bliss, which is Poe's ex-girlfriend. She's sort of a... Uh, smuggler yeah uh, bounty hunter looking girl they meet the film as well i have to say out of the like in the i I know it's a bit of a device there's divisive moments in this film as well but i have to say the rise rise of skywalker i have to say i i love yeah pose ex-girlfriend i think visually she's great 
And I think if she had her own series, like not not saying she needs her own series because that would just be going way over the Could top. You imagine a Zori and Babru's adventure. Yeah, I think I could because I just I love the visual, I love the design. It's so simple and sleek, but like you know, and the no nonsenseness of it. I just I do like the character. I think it had it has potential. She has potential, but it's not to say if Disney are listening, don't make a series about her because we've got lots and lots of series to go for. Just <laughs> well, too add, many already. add her in as an as a character in one of the many shows you already have. That's fine. Just yes. don't give her her own series because we've got lots um, coming away anyway. Um, but I love that character, and also I just love I love wait what was the thing that you what was the other thing you just mentioned? Sorry, I've, I've lost my train of thought. Uh, Richard E. Grant being that was it. That was it. Yeah, fan of him. I do. Yes, I do love Richard E. Grant. Richard E. Grant is honestly he's a great actor, and obviously the classic thing with Star Wars is the villains are played by British people and the Americans are the good guys. That was the general basic premise of casting in the Star Wars universe up to a certain point. Funny that it continues. Uh, even it does. It does. But yeah, Richard E. Grant, highlight for me. I just, uh, and the fact that behind the scenes interviews with Richard E. Grant, he literally looks like he's having the time of his life. He's like a kid in the sweet shop whenever he does anything that's like big, high profile. Like he's good at the indie stuff and like the individual, like the independent and more low budget side of things and more British based films. But just to see his delight and the behind the scenes videos it's just absolutely key it's just yeah i do love richard e grant and i think he does a really good performance actually in the film to be fair and i love the fact that he absolutely uh, annoys the hell out of hucks i i think some people think that 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 sort of whininess of hucks is very it, it is annoying but it's very reminiscent of a good old hayden christensen as anakin skywalker just a empire version or sorry first order version but i i quite like the dynamic there and i love how Rich D. Grant tiffs him off all the time, so it's great for fun for me personally. <laughs> We've then got we do also get cameos in this film. Before I go on to the actual cameos of people, we get um the voices of the Jedi. Now this is a scene at towards the end of the film when Ray, the whole movie, she's tried to call out to the voices of the past Jedi and she can't hear them. Uh, she's reading through Luke's journals that were in the last film. Uh, Luke kept the sacred Jedi text in the last film. Also, we also forgot to mention in the last film that when he's going to burn down the Jedi tree on his island that has the texts, which are both Jedi text and texts that he has written himself on his research. And Yoda shows up and uh, causes lightning to strike the tree, burning the tree when Luke hesitates. It turns out you'll see you see at the end of uh, the Last Jedi that Ray had already taken the books, so uh, nothing was actually burned. Uh, in this film, she's using these books to discover basically the plot of the movie, and uh, one of those is about communicating with the Last Je- uh, the voices of the old Jedi. So we get Ewan McGregor back as Obi Wan Kenobi, as well as the Alec Guinness Ray line that we've gotten before. We get Hayden Christensen as Anakin Skywalker. We get Samuel L. Jackson as Mace Windu. Frank Oz as Yoda, Liam Neeson as Qui-Gon Jinn, Olivia Dabu as Luminara and Dooley. Now, Luminara was a Jedi in the prequels that didn't have any lines. So for these, uh, for many of these uh, actors, they use the voice actor or actress from the Clone Wars TV show or the Rebels TV show that they, because it's the only voice that we've ever known them to have. Instead of bringing back the original actor that never spoke, we also get Ashley Eckstein as Ahsoka Tano, very, very popular character from the Clone Wars and from Star Wars as a whole. However, this does cause a slight continuity error. These are voices from the past Jedi using the voices that are their live action voices. 
we have not heard these other Jedi speak before. You know, when we get Hayden, we're not getting Matt Lanton doing Anakin's voice. We're getting Hayden's voice. This, however, was shot before Rosario Dawson was cast as live-action Ahsoka in the Mandalorian Season 2 when she's first revealed, which means we get Ashley, who is the voice of Ahsoka Tano from The Clone Wars, doing her lines, which does cause a slight continuity error because really it should be Rosario's voice. But... You know, you can understand why it's the film, you know, Rosario hadn't even been cast yet. So so we do get a lot of famous Jedi speaking to Rey in this moment in the film towards the end, which is very nice. And to those who are massive Star Wars fans like me, it was nice to be able to point out, oh, I know who, who all these voices are from, because, of course, I recognize the voices from all the shows. Before we get into the plot, we'll get into a few um, facts about the the film. So it received very mixed reviews. It was praised for the acting and action sequences, obviously the musical score by John Williams, visual effects. However, the pacing was the biggest problem with the film. It was very jarring. Many said it was too, even though it was a very long film, and not as long as The Last Jedi, but still very long, it had a lot of information you had to absorb. For example, Emperor Palpatine does not return in a way that you see. It It says it in the opening crawl. And another thing, bit of trivia, if you want to see the Emperor's announcement to the galaxy that he has returned, you had to play Fortnite when the film came out because there was an event. So if you wanted to see the Emperor's announcement to the galaxy that he has returned, you had to play Fortnite. Yeah, it wasn't handled the best for his return. For many years, as I mentioned, Dark Empire was the way Emperor returned in Star Wars Legends. In this film, it's hinted at but not actually explained. Uh, because the last time we saw him, he blew up. So it's not really explained how he survived, unfortunately. The film still uh, grossed $1.074 billion worldwide and was the seventh highest grossing film of 2019. However, it is the lowest grossing installment of the trilogy. So and it only had about a $300 million profit because of how expensive the film was and the number of reshoots. It had three nominations at the uh, Academy Awards for Best Original Score, Best Visual Effects, and Best Sound Editing. It had three at the British Academy Film Awards for Best Visual Effects, Best Original Music, and Best Sound as well. And it won five awards at the uh, the Saturn Awards, including Best Science Fiction Film. The film was obviously, as I mentioned before, originally going to be directed by Colin Trevorrow, with Jewel of Fates being his script which did leak online, and many people have read it. It leaked uh, in January 2020. You can find it online, and some people say it had a better story than this film. I wouldn't necessarily agree or disagree with that. It's just a very different take on what happens to these characters. Anyway, I'll uh, cover the plot very quickly. So basically, Palpatine has returned. He's on a planet called Exegol. You see Kylo Ren on Mustafar near Vader's old castle, There's actually less lava now, which is covered in the Darth Vader Immortal um, VR game, where the planet of Mustafar was not always covered in lava. And since the the balance was restored during the events of that game, the planet is becoming less covered in lava, which is why you even get to see some trees where Kylo is. And he kills the guardians of this Sith Wavefinder, which is the only way to find Exegol is to use this Sith Wavefinder. It's essentially space GPS, and you can use it to find Exegol. Kylo travels there, and then he gets to the line where, you know, I've been every voice uh, you've ever heard inside your head. And we get a reveal of the Emperor as this sort of, he's almost zombified. He's got like, you can see his bones in his hands. He has fingers missing. 
His eyes are white. They're not bright yellow like Sith like they normally are. He's like very weak, almost like a a talking corpse. You also reveal it's also revealed in this film that the origins of Snoke was that Palpatine created him in a tank. So if you wanted to know that, then you find that out. You also find out obviously that apparently Palpatine has orchestrated everything from the beginning. You also see Kylo is then offered, I can give you this, I can give you everything. This whole planet has star destroyers that have Death Star lasers on the bottom of them, which means every star destroyer can destroy a planet. And there are hundreds of them. On this planet, there's a bunch of loyal Sith soldiers that live there. They were born there and they built the ships and they are loyal to the Sith and obviously they're loyal to the Emperor. He tells Kylo that if you kill Rey, I'll give you this. You'll become the new Emperor of the Galaxy. We then see apparently there's a spy for the Resistance. It's later revealed to be uh, General Hux because he hates Kylo so much. He even says, I don't care if you win, I just want Kylo Ren to lose. They get the information from a character that's actually played by Mark Hamill and they get the information that confirms Palpatine's return. They then go on a mission to find a wayfinder, the only way to get to Exegol. This then leads to them finding Lando Calrissian on a planet that uh, Ochi, this old Sith assassin, was sent to, and he would have the, a way to get to a wayfinder as one of Palpatine's loyal things. It also turns out that Ochi uh, is the person who killed Rey's parents. So it's revealed in this film that Rey's parents sold her to Ankar Plutt so that she couldn't be found mm-hmm. and that Ray's father was a failed clone of Palpatine that doesn't look like him and also didn't have force powers. Mm-hmm. So it looks like it skipped a generation and yeah. Ray has the power, the same uh, powers in the force that the which, Emperor has. Which I have to admit is something that when I first watched the film, I kind of just sort of, it went over my head because as you said in the beginning, the plot is kind of convoluted in a lot of ways and it's just I don't know I was focused on so many different threads and so much information that was thrown at me that I had to watch it again to really grasp what actually was going on with like I understood that obviously Ray's parents were normal and um that they had a connection to Palpatine but it all really just went over my head in the end not because yeah I I hate the film I don't hate the film that's the thing I love aspects of this film so much i can safely say that you know i think the battle the little saber duel between kylo ren and ray on that uh, on like the remains of the death star which you'll get to in a minute is a really cool looking sequence it's a bit drawn out but it's a really cool looking sequence and so are many other bits in this film and and also like you say the many cameo voice appearances that's another highlight i have from this but the parentage of ray and her origins and her relation to palpatine just sort of it partially went over my head because it, it just sort of I was a bit bemused and a bit sort of overwhelmed by the amount of other information that I had to deal with at the same time uh, but there you go that was just me personally that's my personal feelings on it we then see that Kylo connects with Rey through the force as they did in the last film and manages to find out where she is she was given a necklace by a local on Pasana, which is the planet they were on and he manages to rip it off her through the force and have it in his hand where he is and they use their analysts. It's very quick, actually. It's within a minute. They managed to analyze where it's from and send stormtroopers that were on the planet to try and arrest them. So they all tried to run away. That's when they run into Lando because Lando gives them uh, some safety. They managed to fall into some quicksand. And the quicksand, they discover Ochi's dead body. So Ochi is dead. 
His ship is out in the desert somewhere. And they also find a dagger that Ochi used to kill Ray's parents. And it also has Sith readings on it that say where to find the Sith Wayfinder. Ray senses Kylo nearby after they discover the ship and walks outside. And Kylo basically tries to run her over with a TIE fire and she cuts the wing and he crashes. Before they can engage, Chewbacca is kidnapped by the First Order. And as the ship tries to fly away, they both force pull the ship with Kylo trying to let it go and Rey trying to stop them from leaving. During this, you know, during her frustration and her anger, she accidentally uses force lightning on the First Order transport and blows it up. And of course, she believes she killed Chewie. Turns out there was another transport and he wasn't on that one. So it's a bit of a fake out death. After they escape in Ochi's ship, because they can't leave in the Falcon, because the Falcon will have been surrounded by now, they go to Kajimi, which is where Poe's girlfriend is from. Uh, and they meet a droid smith called Babu Frick to reset uh, C-3PO's memory. The reason they do this is because even though C-3PO could read what was on the dagger, and the dagger was in Chewie's possession when he got arrested, C-3PO is not allowed to read the encryption because it's written in this, the ancient Sith language. And that's not a, it's against his program, which obviously they have to apparently reset his entire memory, wiping his memory, in order to reset all his functions so he can read it, which they do. Luckily, R2 has a backup of his memories and manages to restore them later in the film. So it really meant nothing, him having his memory wiped. Ray senses Chewbacca is alive and they go to rescue him on Kylo's destroyer. Before that, Ray fights Kylo and even though they're in two separate locations, during their force call, they can actually clash blades, which is the first time we've ever seen that. So their connection now is so strong that it appears that they are physically interacting with each other, even though they're not in the same place. When they get on the ship, Ray uses the force to mind trick some stormtroopers, and they manage to get in and free Chewie. Ray runs off and fights Kylo Ren for real this time, where he reveals that she's a Palpatine. She's the granddaughter of Darth Sidious. It's also revealed during these, this escape that General Hux was the spy, and uh, General Pride uh, shoots him because he realizes that he's the spy. So that's the end of General Hux as well. Then there's a flashback that shows when Kylo explains that who Ray's parents really were, where you see Ochi killing Ray's parents. So Ray is now obviously even more emotional than before and even more dark sidey because now she knows her connection is even stronger than she ever thought. They uh, fly to the Endor system. Instead of going to the forest moon of Endor this time, they go to an ocean moon. That's where most of the Death Star debris is. This is where they run into the ex-stormtroopers that are living there and Ray, Poe and Finn obviously converse with them with Finn being very interested in them because he's an ex-stormtrooper. And you get to see that Ray goes off on her own to enter the wreckage of the Death Star, finding a Sith Wayfinder. She fights a vision of her evil self with a double-bladed red lightsaber. And after that, Kylo shows up because she's he's tracked her there and destroys the Wayfinder in front of her. So she, she and him now have a fight that David described in the wreckage. And during this fight, Finn tries to get involved and Ray pushes him away. During this fight, Ray actually gets defeated by Kylo. And before Kylo delivers the final blow, even though he's been told not to kill her and he even said he wasn't going to, Leia reaches out in the Force to speak to Kylo. And Ray then uses this opportunity to grab Kylo's blade and stab him. This act also 
is when Leia dies. So the way it's shot, it almost looks like Rey stabbing Kylo killed Leia, but that's not apparently that's not the case. Leia then sort of dies of old age. She's been getting very weak in the film. Obviously, because Carrie Fisher is dead, they've written that into the film as if she's like she knows her end is coming. Rey then apologizes and says the reason she didn't take Ben's hand, Kylo's hand, at the end of The Last Jedi was because she wanted to, but she wanted it to be Ben's hand. She wanted it to be a him to redeem himself. She steals Kylo's TIE fighter and flies to Arc 2, where Luke used, uh, gave up, and she decides she's going to give up. So she burns the TIE fighter and goes to throw the lightsaber into the fire. And that's when Luke appears, catching the lightsaber as a ghost, and says the line, a Jedi's weapon deserves more respect. Now, this was obviously written as the dig at what Ryan Johnson chose to do by, ha by having Luke throw the lightsaber off the cliff in the last movie. So a lot of people both love and hate that line because of that, whether, whether, depending on your opinion on Luke Skywalker in the last movie. He then says to her that he was wrong and you can fight and maybe Ben can be redeemed. And he decides to reveal that in his hut on Arc 2, he has another lightsaber, as well as Anakin's. Uh, they now have Leia's. It turns out that Leia did train to be a Jedi with Luke, but she sensed that at the end of her Jedi training, she sensed doom for her young or future son. I think this is before he was born. So she decides to give up on the Jedi and become a politician. Uh, Rey then leaves in Luke's old X-Wing that was buried in the water. She manages to fix the ship and uses the Wayfinder from Kylo's now burned ship to fly to Exegol while transmitting from the X-Wing, allowing the Resistance to follow her there in order to help her. During this time, Kylo is left alone on the planet and he sees a vision of his father, Han Solo, and they have a heart-to-heart, -heart, even though this is just a memory in Ben's head, he realizes his mistakes, his mother's dead, and he realizes, you know, he can become Ben Solo again, and he throws his lightsaber into the water and leaves. So uh, after the redemption, Ben and Leia's death, Palpatine senses that he's, you know, his plans, the, these plans are failing. So he sends one Star Destroyer with the Death Star laser to Kojimi, where the uh, where they got the C-3PO's memories uh, wiped, and they blow up the planet. Luckily, the characters that we met while we were there, like Zori Bliss and Babu Frick, actually, they escape the planet before it blows up. We see that we see them later in the film. They all travel to Exegol, and they meet up, and it's now the Final Order, or the, the Sith Eternal, versus the what's left of the Resistance that have followed Rey here. Rey has confronted Palpatine, and uh, he, also, I did forget to mention the Knights of Ren are in this movie. They weren't in The Last Jedi, but they obviously were in the flashback scenes or the vision scenes in uh, The Force Awakens. The Knights of Ren in this film, they walk around following Kylo and they, they're the ones who capture Chewie. Um, but they don't actually do anything in this film until they fight Ben Solo at the end of this film. So they are now loyal to the Emperor, of course, their dark side. So Rey goes to confront the Emperor while Ben arrives and is fighting the Knights of Ren. During this fight, the Resistance is losing and they are trying to destroy as many of these ships as possible. Apparently, these ships don't know how to fly upwards without a signal beacon, which they all want to attack to stop them from flying away. The system is then moved to the main Star Destroyer, which 
Finn senses and they decide to attack that instead. Him and the ex-stormtroopers team up on their space horses on the side of the ship uh, to attack the basically the dish on the side of the ship that's transmitting the signal for the other star destroyers to lift off out of atmosphere. Yeah. They even say, jam their speeders. And they go, well, they're not on speeders. So the reason they use horses is so that they can't just disable the speeders, you know, with an EMP or something. Yeah, yeah it's so, purely uh, natural. Even though yeah. if they just tilted the ship slightly, they'd have all slid off. But, you know. Yeah, no, um, didn't, they didn't think that far in advance. <laughs> they didn't think of that. Maybe, <laughs> they, well, then again, if they can't fly upwards without a signal, I guess they can't turn slightly either. Yeah, maybe. Um, anyway, <laughs> the Knights of Ren are defeated and both Rey and uh, Kylo confront the Emperor. This is when their dyad, their connection in the Force is revealed and explained. They are, you know, the, the same being in the Force connected so purely that it's more powerful than the power of life itself so the emperor uses force drain which is an ability that has also been seen in knights of the old republic he uses this power to drain the life force from ray and kylo to rebirth himself this is when you get sidious he finally steps off this like apparatus he's been hanging from his hands regrow properly and he's back to looking the way he did in Return of the Jedi, except he's got a bit of red on his robes. He's got the uh, yellow Sith eyes back instead of looking all gaunt and blind looking yes. as he was. He shoots massive bolts of force lightning into the sky, disabling the resistance fleet. Luckily, Rey and Kylo managed to step in and stop him from continuing to attack. What happens is, is that a massive fleet shows up led by Lando Calrissian with Wedge Antilles returning from the uh, from the original film as well to uh, attack the final order. So with the saying that this isn't a fleet, this is just people from the galaxy that are basically sick of an empire trying to tell them what to do. So this is when we get the cameos of Babu Frick and the survivors and as well as other characters from the resistance that we've met in the sequels as well. The emperor lifts up after draining them of life. He lifts Ben into the air and says, as once I fell, so will the last Skywalker. And he pushes Ben down a hole in the floor of this ancient Sith temple that they're all in. Obviously, it's in ruins. So there's a hole in the floor. And Rey is laying on the floor. And this is when we get the her saying, be with me to herself. And that's when we hear the voices of the Jedi. Yeah, and all the cameos, up, which sound great. Stands up, picks up her, her lightsaber, and Ray picks up Anakin's lightsaber and Leia's lightsaber and deflects Sidious's lightning back at him, very like Mace Windu style, yeah. uh, and, and manages to deflect it enough to kill him. Ray then falls down because obviously she's very weak. She's on the brink of death from being drained of life. And Ben gets up and he heals her from death uh so finally the power of learning to save someone from dying is apparently using for super force heal but what's established in this film is that force heal has a consequence you give up as much life as you give to something when you heal something which means ben healing ray when she's dead means that ben dies so they look at each other they actually share a kiss he then becomes one with the force and disappears the same way luke did same way Obi-Wan did, the same way Yoda did. And we end the film with Rey traveling to Tatooine to the old Lars homestead all the way back in A New Hope. And she's there with BB-8. She flew there on the Falcon as well. And she stands over, looks across the sunset. And then this, uh, this uh, pedestrian comes by, this old woman, and goes, who are you? No one's been here in a long time. And she says, Rey. And she, and he, she says, Ray who? And she looks out onto the desert and you see the ghosts of Luke Skywalker and 
Leia. And she looks at them and goes, Ray Skywalker. So she decides to take on the name of her, basically her adoptive family and the legacy of the Skywalkers, rather than allowing herself to be defined by her blood relative being a Palpatine. Yeah, and no, we exactly. get to see at the end of this film that she's constructed a new lightsaber for herself which is, uh, it looks like it's made out of her staff that she used to use in The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi. Mm. And uh, it's a single blade and it's yellow, which is the first yellow lightsaber ever seen on screen with yellow lightsabers being my personal favorite lightsaber color. I was quite happy with that. Yeah. And that's how the film ends. The film ends with a look out onto the sunset with Ray and BB-8, which is basically how we started this trilogy, uh, with Ray and BB-8 meeting each other mm-hmm. on a desert planet, which was Jakku. And then we end on Ray completing her Jedi journey with BB-8 stood next to her. And then the yeah. film ends. It is such a big, big thing. Now we've, we've come to the end of the sequel trilogy and indeed our time on the Star Wars Skywalker saga. Rogue One's great. I love Rogue One. Solo, it's not perfect, but there's, you know, it's a bit of fun at the end of the day, but we could go into mm. detail about that on a completely different episode. But, you know, there's all the shows in between, all the Disney Plus stuff that you can watch these days. Mandalorian, Book of Boba Fett, Obi-Wan, Kenobi, Clone Wars, Rebels, all the different animated shows. There's so much in this universe that you can really, really, truly enrich yourself in. And obviously guys at home if you have yet to decide which side of the debate you're on or you know which is your favorite trilogy or favorite film overall or any favorite moments um let me know on the take 97 instagram uh, and also just you know watch the films we've talked about them what they're about obviously this is mostly spoiler versions so if you didn't hadn't already seen the films then you've had it spoiled for you but most people do know the general gist of them but i think it's a great adventure story overall from start to finish be you watch it from episode one through to episode nine or if you do it properly in my and obviously jack's opinion episode four or you know original trilogy star wars and you hope all the way up to the rise of skywalker but yeah it's genuinely such a good thing to talk about and you know i'm glad that i got you on to talk about this with me and just to talk it through but i was gonna we're gonna before we wrap it up i was gonna say let's rate the films well i would like to mention actually is just two cameos that i found out in yes. the film yes uh, even though there was a lot of returning people we actually got john williams uh, yes we did yes we and did we, uh, and we we also got carl um urban when the uh, when the knights of ren are reintroduced in this film they walk down the corridor uh, that's who the stormtrooper speaks and goes knights of ren ghouls like that as a description of them and that's uh, that's carl so those are the two cameos i could find out about um, but then I guess it's on to ratings. Yeah. So, so um, um, yeah. Do you want to start off? So, uh, Force Awakens. So, I would give the Force Awakens a solid three out of five. Nice. Uh, um, and I, I would, I, the... I would agree with you on. Well, actually, no. I'd say three point five for me because okay. I, I personally enjoyed it the most out of the trilogy. But I wouldn't really go as far to say four because obviously of the similarities between. A new hope and the fact that it's basically a soft reboot but it was enjoyable so i would say 3.5 for me on the force awakens yeah i will say also about the force awakens is that it, even though i love 
especially the lightsaber sequences in the prequels and of course the return of the jedi one is the one that means the most in my opinion the lightsaber duel between finn and kylo and then ray and kylo from from force awakens is definitely my probably my favorite go-to lightsaber duel if i wanted to watch a lightsaber duel that's my favorite one. Yeah. I also have some really beautiful shots to when the TIE fires show up on Jakku during sunset. That's my favorite shot in the movie. Ah, yeah, um, yeah. So even though three sounds quite low, I'm saying that when I'm looking at the, the ratings we gave the other films so far, and I can't put it above them. So I have to sort of tie it with Attack of the Clones and gave it a three as well. When it comes to The Last Jedi, I have to say 2.5 out of 5. So I'd say middle of the road. There is lots to like in The Last Jedi. Lots of cool concepts that are brought up. However, the way it flows from The Force Awakens is so jarring to me that even though there's a lot of unique stuff there, it doesn't feel right. Uh, So So on its own, if you watched it on its own, perhaps you could feel more positive about it when you sit down and watch the trilogy unfortunately the, the films do not flow into each other very well mm, no. and i'm and even though i ex, i uh, respect ryan johnson for taking the leap and doing what he wanted to do and i also understand that jj did leave him very little to work with with most of his plot points being mystery boxes that could mean anything and unless jj told ryan what was in the box how's he supposed to know so i think that i'm going to give ryan the credit he didn't do a, a terrible job i still think that the movie is watchable and i still enjoy watching it it's yeah. just that the flaws of the movie especially after watching i've watched praises of the of the movie i've watched people break it down scene by scene whether it's good or bad after after looking at that you then question yeah i think the reason it doesn't get to be a three is because personally, even though I understand why he did it, I didn't like the way Luke Skywalker was handled in the film in, yeah. at the end of the day. I, obviously, as a fan of classic Star Wars, you know, I wanted Grandmaster Luke Skywalker. I didn't want hmm. Jedi Luke Hermit on an island, you know. So maybe that's my own fault for wanting something different or wanting something that's already been done before, maybe. Yeah. And also no. the, hu- the humor in this film also puts it down for me because I feel like... You, one minute you go from telling your mum jokes and then the next minute you're uh, upset about someone sacrificing themselves and you're thinking, well, pick a tone, Ryan. Like, yeah. is, it, is it meant to be a gritty movie about war or is it meant to be a comedy? Yeah. And I think that it's the trap that some, some of the Marvel films uh, fall into as well, where the humour is not necessarily bad, but misplaced. And I think, yeah. I think that's why, yeah, that's why I think Last Jedi is a solid 2.5. I, I'm not gonna I'm not just saying this just for the sake of ease and quickness here, but like I would probably say a 2.5. It's like you say, in comparison to the ratings I've given the other films, it's got to sit somewhere and it doesn't tie with The Force Awakens because it's not my favorite film. So respectfully, it's a 2.5 for many of the reasons that you have said, but also just by comparison, because I prefer many of the other films across the entire saga that it would be wrong for me to rate it higher or the same as another film when I say, oh, I really enjoyed that, but I don't, uh, you know, it's not that I don't enjoy this film. It's just, it's not my favourite film at the end of the day. And, yeah. you know, there's good bits of it, there's bad bits of it, but at the end of the day, I have to place it somewhere on the ratings. And unfortunately, it falls to the 2.5 scale, very much like you. But that's all I have to say about that. I'll lead the next one, The Rise of Skywalker. Personally... Despite its faults and 
the pacing issues and the fact that I think some you could have cut that battle down on the the duel between Ray and Kylo on the big uh, on the Death Star remains down a little bit. That's just me personally. I feel like I would rate it probably around that. I'd say 3.5 on level with The Force Awakens because it's standard J.J. Abrams for Star Wars. But at the same time, there are aspects of it. Like I could rate miniature scenes from it higher. But as a film, it has to be a 3.5 for me. It has to be a 3.5 because visually it's stunning. There's good moments in there, like really killer shots that you can really get. You know, J.J. Abrams is great at the whole you know, sci-fi stuff with his Star Trek history and that and sci-fi in general. But I do think for me... Empire Strikes Back will always be my favourite film, and that's a solid... I'm, I can't remember what I gave it, but it is definitely, in my head now, I'm saying a 5 um, or 4.5 at the very least, if you're going to be brutally honest. But this one has to be a 3.5 on the basis that I enjoyed it. There are bits that could have been improved, but it's still a very watchable film as a Star Wars you know, space fantasy, space opera yeah. thing. So, you know, that's my rating, 3.5. I actually give it the same rating as The Last Jedi for different reasons. So I give it 2.5 again. And it's mostly because even though we understand that a lot of what they tried to do in this film was course correct from what the many vocal fans did not like about The Last Jedi. The problem is in that course correction, they made a plot so convoluted and convenient and full of, I mean, when you start thinking about it, you go, well, you know, like, for example, the dagger, the dagger happens to have an extension piece that comes out of it. If you stand on this particular cliff, they happen to be stood on points to where the wayfinder is in the wreckage of the second Death Star that we saw completely blow up. But it turns out that the throne room which is where it's pointing to has a side room that has it in that isn't destroyed you know even some of the glass is intact in the window like even the chairs just kind of melted you know and you're thinking surely that should all just be dust right so there's a lot of things like that where you go that's a bit too much you're asking your audience to accept and i feel that even though i was one of the people that wanted ray to have at least an explanation for her powers I think they kind of went about it the wrong way. And I also didn't mind her parents being nobodies as long as they gave a reason. I still think she'd have been better as a, a Solo or a Skywalker, personally. But I, when The Last Jedi happened, one of my bigger criticisms wasn't her parents being nobody. So I think that the fact that they went back on that one, which was actually something a lot of people were okay with, I think they tried to overcorrect. However, I can still I can still enjoy the film, and I certainly the cameos from the past Jedi. I love that scene. I still think the Force Ghost should have been there in person, but that scene. I do too. Is what so, is a good highlight. So, so I think that I can rewatch the movie, and I rate it the same as the Last Jedi because I like it and dislike it for slightly different reasons. And I can't really give it higher than The Last Jedi because it's a bigger mess narrative-wise than The Last Jedi, despite the corrections it tries to make. So, yeah, that's why I give it in the end, which uh, basically gives us, if we want to summarize, the original trilogy for me is a 5 out of 5 overall. The prequels... So I would, I would agree with five, that. Yeah. And the sequels is 3 out of 5, which which leads my final list to be Empire Strikes Back was a 5 out of 5. That's what I gave it. Followed by Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith, with 4.5 or, or a 5 out of 5 if you include The Clone Wars Season 7. A New Hope, 4.5 as well. Then you br- uh, have Return of the Jedi, 
which is a 4 out of 5, a solid 4 out of 5. Phantom Menace, 3.5. Force Awakens, 3 out of 5. Attack of the Clones, 3 out of 5. And then you get um, The Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker with 2.5. So that's uh, that's the final list for me anyway. But of course, some people put The Last Jedi as their favorite film instead of Solo. Uh, some people think that Attack of the Clones is one of the best yeah. movies. I think it always comes down to what you want from the movie and yeah. what you personally enjoy. Yeah. Saying someone isn't a Star Wars fan because they like The Last Jedi is ludicrous, just as ludicrous as saying you're not a Star Wars fan if you hate The Last Jedi. I think that when it comes to these films, you can you like, can like what you like. As they say, Star Wars is for everybody. There is something in Star Wars. You will find something to like and you will find something to dislike that's that's what comes with the territory of something that appeals to everybody something that yeah. appeals to everybody doesn't appeal to everybody at the yeah. same time because not everybody is the same so i think personally the reason i love star wars especially the larger expanded universe is that if i want a story about stormtroopers turned zombies you know i can read red harvest if I, you know, if you, you know, if I want a story about the Sith going from many to just two, I can read the Darth Bane trilogy. You know, all those things are there. If you want to, if you want something from Star Wars, you're going to find it. Exactly. And I would highly recommend. Of course, nearly everyone listening, chances are, if they've listened this long, they've seen these movies. But if you haven't, give them a shot. Watch them in release order. I can't stress that enough. If you can watch the non-special editions of the at least the original trilogy, I would recommend that over watching the versions you can get on Disney Plus. Of course, that might be asking a bit much from the average person, but I would say give these movies a chance and even give the sequels a chance. They are not just the Last Jedi, but the sequels are the Marmite of Star Wars. Even the prequels are are the Marmite of Star Wars. Some people hate the prequels. Someone like Simon Pegg, for instance. He loves the originals, hates the prequels, and likes the sequels because obviously he was in them. But yeah. he, he hates the prequels. He's on quote, you know, it's like, uh, you know, any last words? It's like, I hate the prequels. You know, he's like, everyone will find something that they like and something that they just like. Exactly. The thing is, give them a chance because this franchise is, is an amazing franchise. Yeah. Two years ago or today. To be honest, you've pretty much slam dunked the end of this series as a whole. I will only end really very quickly with the fact I don't really have my overall ratings prepared or anything, but I can safely say that five out of five for Empire Strikes Back is my top film. Revenge of the Sith, a solid, I want to say I said 3.5 or 4. I've seen, I think I said, I think it was 4 if I remember correctly. Uh, and then obviously I think for the sequel trilogy, um, I would get I, I would give it to The Force Awakens with a 3.5 as well. But yeah, and then we can't get into it today. But I love Rogue One. One of the Star Wars stories. I oh, love so, Rogue One. So Rogue One beats all of the sequels. To it, me. Does, it does. It does. Uh, it does. What would you, I think Rogue One? I'm trying to think where I'd place. I'd probably say. No, Rogue One could be a 3.5, maybe even a 4. I'd say 4 for uh, me personally because yeah. of how standalone but also yet connected it is. But yeah. whilst being its own little thing and with the right amount of references balanced with its own thing. And I just, what is it? Two, uh, K2SO. Favorite oh, yeah, droid, favorite droid, yeah. favorite droid. Uh, well, absolutely. Your, okay, how about, how about before we wrap up, even though yeah. we've probably gone on long enough, the, okay, favorite character from each trilogy and then all of Star Wars. Right. So all of Star Wars, um, it has to be Darth Vader. It's my favorite. Absolutely. 100%. Um, so Anakin's, 
slash well, Vader. Anakin slash Vader. Yeah, doesn't matter which version. I like him overall. Each see each trilogy. Again, Darth Vader from the originals, shortly followed by so the prequels. It has to be Obi-Wan, Ewan McGregor. Love him. And then the sequel trilogy is a bit more of a difficult one, but I love BB-8, the droid. That's my that's yeah, my that's, that's my factor. That's an interesting choice. I like an that. honorable mention to C3PO for the entire saga. Okay. So uh for the original trilogy, I would say Luke Skywalker. Uh if not Luke yeah. Han Solo. Oh, you uh, see. I, yeah. Han Solo is more likable throughout all three films. Uh however, Luke in Return of the Jedi, as he is in Return of the Jedi, that's my Luke Skywalker. That's that's what I want. And when he returned, well, I mean, we're spoiling everything. When he returned at the end of Mandalorian season two, ah, yeah. of Boba Fett, he was, as I remember, Luke Skywalker in his Return of the Jedi outfit. You know exactly what I picture as Luke Skywalker. When it comes to the prequels, this is a harder one to answer because you you basically want to say Obi Wan with Ewan McGregor's performance. However. I might actually say Anakin because even though hmm, interesting, yeah. people, even though a lot of people don't like Hayden Christensen's performance in Attack of the Clones, especially, I think that thanks to Revenge of the Sith, Anakin is my favorite character. I understand, especially well, with the help of the Clone Wars TV show, um, I understand why he's doing what he's doing, even if it's wrong. So that's fine. And then uh, the then sequel trilogy. Sequels is oh Kylo Ren. Uh, uh, I, yeah. I, he's not a perfect character. He's obviously very conflicted. He's he's the most conflicted character, perhaps even more than Anakin was in the prequels in these films. However, the joke is, you know, Adam Driver must his back must hurt for carrying the whole sequel trilogy. You know, <laughs> it's, he his Adam Driver's performance as yeah. Kylo Ren. And also from the Saturday Night Live very, skit, where he's very uh, consistent, I'd you know, say. Matt, the radar technician, which is an honorable mention there, is um, I think his performance was very good. And Adam Driver is a very good actor. And I wish that they gave, I just wish there was, I wish they'd have kept him evil personally in, in The Rise of Skywalker. Seeing like Emperor Kylo Ren in the shadows, you could have done anything with it, but I'd have yeah. liked to see, even if you did redeem him still in the end, you could. A bit like Vader. Vader. Yeah. I still think it would have been nice to see a bit more of self-assured, grown-up Kylo Ren. Yeah. Which we didn't get. No. O- overall in Star Wars, as a fan of the expanded universe, my favorite character is obviously not in the movies. Yeah, um, it is and obviously. Is, and that is Darth Zana from yeah. the Bane trilogy. Well, we anyway, have come it, to yeah. <laughs> we've come to the end of our journey in a galaxy far, far away. Jack, thank you very much for joining us on this journey of three episodes, bumper episodes of the podcast. I'm glad that we've managed to do this. It's a big monster of a topic and we can safely say we've done it <laughs> we've done it yeah. and that, that is star wars completed from the original 1977 all the new hope or whatever you want to call it all the way up to the rise of skywalker in 2019 and that is a conclusion on the sequels episode of the podcast uh, and a wrap on take 97 a film podcast the skywalker saga in a galaxy far far away Quickly, Jack, very quickly, mention your social medias very quickly, and then we shall conclude the episode. Okay, so I am on Instagram. So that's Jack underscore Parker underscore media. That's where I post about, well, some Star Wars related stuff, but it's mostly about my work as a cinematographer and working in the film industry. I have a DeviantArt where uh, just Jack Parker art on DeviantArt. If you want to see some of my artwork, it's all Star Wars, of course it is. Um, and then some of that artwork I have turned into merchandise on shirts, some posters, stickers, etc. 
most of those are of uh, Mara Jade, the Legends character of um, Luke Skywalker's wife. But there are some others there as well. And that's on, yeah, that's on Teespring. And that's Jack Parker's art on Teespring. Uh, I'm also on YouTube as well. If you type in Jack Parker, JP Media, you'll find my channel. You probably won't find it any other way because my name's so generic. Um, but you'll see... Uh, some of the videos I made at university and some of which even feature David's if you want to check those out. And they are a joy to watch indeed, especially for me every now and again. <laughs> well, thank you very much there, Jack. And thank you guys to you listeners for listening. That is a wrap on Take 97 Film Podcast, the sequel trilogy, Star Wars edition of the podcast, and also the Skywalker saga in the galaxy far, far away, triple threat edition of the podcast. And I'll see you next time, guys, on a brand new episode of Tate 97 very soon. Uh, I'll say bye-bye there. That's not exactly Star Wars, but we'll give it a go. See you later, guys. May the Force be with you.